So yeah, I was about, I'd say second or third year of college. And I was taking a lot of philosophy courses at college. And I'd go back to my dorm, Trevor's thing. And I think about the things I talked about. And none of my roommates were really good conversationalists. So it was kind of like conversations with myself. And it was really weird because there'd be times when I'd go to bed like 11, 12. I had to wake up early and I'm like laying in bed. And all of a sudden some ideas would start coming. Yeah, that's when they hit you. Yeah, and I just like, and I'm like, whoa, this is coming on strong. And I decide to get up. I go to my desk and I start writing these things down. And sometimes I'll be up till two, three in the morning, like a good three, four hours later. And I just had all these random notes. And it started from there. I took a break from writing after I graduated. Um, it was I kind of got distracted with other stuff, trying to figure out what I was going to do next. But I never gave up on reading. So reading's been yeah. always a passion of mine since I was young. Um, growing up in my household, my mom was really strict. So TV yeah, was, so I've heard. <laughs> TV was like a luxury. Um, being able to watch longer than like 30 minutes or an hour was really a gift from God, if that was possible. And she just instilled this thing in us where she thought that if we watch too much TV, it's just not good for us. I mean, it's a waste of our time. So she always encouraged us to find other activities. And in those days, I mean, this is like the mid-90s. I mean, we had N64, I think, came out. was like 96, 97. And I never had video games until about 98. And there was really not much else to do. But I remember she went to this garage sale once and bought this box like this giant box of these treasure encyclopedic chest. Books, treasure chests but they're illustrated they're beautiful illustrated books from those the are 50s. nice they're from the 50s or early I like 60s those. i still have them somewhere i think they're, they're in my dad's garage but i remember i went through those things and i just loved the art in them ate then, it up yeah it started with the art and then from the art i got into the reading what is the art about and then i've always just been curious that's just it's something that i think is it, I didn't learn. It just was instilled in me. And I think either some people have it or they just don't. I've definitely always felt that with you. Like people can learn philosophy. They can take philosophy classes, but there's a certain level of it. That's either you're just into it, call it. It's your intuition. You're born with it. It's your soul. It's your karmic makeup, or you were born in a past life where you were a philosopher. But I could always tell we resonated on that playing field of like, we understand each other on that. I, I felt that deep about, desire for meaning, understanding meaning of life and philosophy. I felt that about you as well. I I could tell um, when you were younger, not so much because you're still a kid. I mean, yeah. When, like, but when you got when you were like in your early twenties or when yeah. was that when you used to really hang out? Probably early. I would probably 2010, 11, right? Yeah, like 2010 or something. So I was 19, 20, give or take around then. Yeah. Yeah, it was at that time that I realized that you were like you stood out from other kids your age and. I just saw it. it wasn't that you were not only were you creative, but you just had a, a depth to you. Like you, you like you like these subjects. You like to sit around and talk. Them. Like some people, they get bored. Like okay, like let's let's talk about something else, and that's fine. You know, I'm not expecting everybody to be the way I am, but I felt like you. I could sit there for like a good hour and a half, and we talk about, you know. Um, the way people are, the way they behave, mm-hmm. what is it that make people a certain way, what is it that make people make mistakes, how we learn from, like, all these, and we just go down a rabbit hole once you start, so. Yeah, it's like understanding the, like, fundamental constructs of, call it, humanity, psychology, society, existence, morality, 
human behavior and just kind of finding how it all fits together. And I would say for me that, A, I was, you're right, just like you, I was just for some reason into it for whatever reason, call it nature, call it being born with it. But you're right, right around the age of like 17, 18 is when I had a, a spark of it. And it's, it was, I would, hey, again, I was always into it, but this was like my, my first real kickstart was, um, was funny. It was actually an old family friend of mine, call him Mentor, he introduced me to this, uh, it's funny, it's, it sounds really silly, but it's true, it sparked it, just one thing led to another. Gave me this CD series, and people were thinking nowadays, like, oh, you still bought CDs? And I was like, well, in 2010, CDs were still actually pretty normal. That's like, pretty you normal. still have CD players in your car. That's 10 years ago, and it was a series called Double Your Dating. And this was, like, when I, like, as a young, as a 16, like, 17, 18-year-old. Double Your Dating? Yeah, he gave it to me, like, hey, you should learn. I'm like, okay. And I was, of course, you're like 17, 18, like, yeah, I want to learn how to, like, get hot chicks and stuff. So yeah. I so I did, and it was lots of stuff they were talking about. Some of the guys were, it was like, it was basically like this, like, interviews. This guy would call his buddies or people that he knew, pickup artists, you could say, dating gurus, mentors, and he just kind of talked to them about what their process, their style, their tips, their tricks, their experience were. And some guys were really douchey. Some guys were really, you would say, demeaning. Other guys were more... Um, charismatic uh some people were really suave and seductive and that kind of machismo thing um but really the point of all that is one of them he's like oh when i was a young kid i started getting into like spirituality and stuff like deepak chopra and i'm sitting there going who's deepak chopra i had no idea who he was back then. so i googled him i found him oh he's like this spiritual guy and mind you i've been already training in martial arts for so many years at this point so i'm already into the whole eastern thing and i'm pretty familiar with it kind of grew up with it you could say and um so i started looking at deepak and i found him interesting and then i found some audiobooks on him started listening to him more and then just one thing led to another yeah. so it really started with this double your dating series <laughs> well before we go into the deeper conversations going back to the dating thing uh mm -hmm. so you, so you mentioned you, there's all these different guys that they all had these different tactics. yeah exactly isn't did you find the same thing that i think i observed that like when it comes to dating, like one thing might work for one guy, hundred percent. But you can't just like it, anything. It, in it life. won't work for everybody else. Like, like, like. Yeah. Some yeah, guy yeah. could be an ass, or he yeah. could be like super nice with girls and has this innocence to him. And you try to give that to somebody mm -hmm. else, and it just mm -hmm. he do, it doesn't fit right with them. It's, isn't that 100%. interesting that you can't have like one set of of being a certain way for everybody? You know, there's this old full tilt commercial because um, I watched it with all a lot of the high stakes poker. I the series, the GSN series, High Stakes Poker, and there was always these full tilt poker ads in between the segments. One of them was with Tom Dwan, and it was really cheesy. And it's funny you hear all you see all these professional poker players in these commercials, and you can so tell they are not camera ready. No. They don't know how to be on camera. They're just good poker players, and they just they have nobody else to have on camera. So it was Tom Dwan. He was talking more or less. He was saying, "I love the guy, but man, he's not the best on the commercials. He is kind of awkward, huh? And um, he's a phenomenal player, though. But um, he was saying, you know, when I first started playing, and it was all scripted, and he's like, but when I first started playing poker, you know, I tried to emulate others and learn their style, but then I learned the best style was my own style, yeah. and that's who I am now. Of course, it's scripted and shit, but it's, that's true, and I think that ultimately boils down to you have to do what's parallel to your nature, whether that's some macho, freaking bold, crass guys 
can get away with all kinds of shit. And it, you can say it quote-unquote works for them. Whether it's ethical or not is another discussion, but it works for them. But another guy tries to copy those techniques and it's just not going to work for them because yeah. they are fundamentally not that. It's like a misalignment of their actions and their nature. Yeah. I mean, that's really what you kind of touched upon one of the pillars of philosophy going right. back to the very earliest days in ancient Greece, even before that, is the whole essence is to know your nature. Like, Oh, yeah. Like, Absolutely. Like you could literally I think spend that's it. a whole lifetime that's it. trying to figure yourself out. But it's worth the journey because that's everything. Like like everything that happens around you, it gets filtered through your perceptions and, and yourself and and just understanding how you are, how you interact with people, what are your shortcomings, what are your strengths, where can you improve? Um it it is it's something that you can't really be taught in any classroom necessarily. I mean, they can give you little hints, they can give you little suggestions, but it's a journey that you have to make yourself. And um I think that's one of the key things about philosophy is it, it, it kind of opens you up to that and understanding the importance of that journey. And don't just take yourself for granted. Oh, like I am a certain way. I must always be this way. Yeah, there are certain elements that we're wired that naturally, yes. like I mentioned, I've always been curious. I think you've always been yeah. somewhat curious and yes. creative. I feel yes. like you're a very creative person. Yes. And by since that's just in your wiring. and It's wiring, yeah. But... There aren't always, there's things about you that you can improve. There's things about you that you can um, notice. So I've always been, I try to be honest with people. And if I see something in them that is troubling, I let them know. A lot of times people appreciate that. Other times, you know. Sometimes like, they do, 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 sometimes they don't. Who are you? Like, how can you tell me this about, but I'm just like, you know, I don't want to be a fake friend. I don't want to just tell you everything you want to hear. Yeah, and my take on that is this is something my martial arts instructor told me a long time ago when I first started teaching martial arts, which I'm, it's funny, it's hard to imagine, though. Like, hey, I think a lot of kids my age, literally because I'm a kid, like, you know, how many kids can say they've done something continuously <laughs> for 12 years? And that's how long I've been teaching. I started teaching when I was 16, and I started teaching martial arts. And one of the first things he, he told me was uh, more or less, don't teach people unless they ask. I think that can be a little different when you're with a close friend or a family member and you can say, like, hey, I, you know, not to give my two cents, but you really seem to be in a hard spot. So here's what I think. And I think that's OK. But and I would say he's he, that's one reason he told me that, because I was being a teacher for him. But another reason was because he was, you could say, like my guru in the sense that he was like my spiritual moral ethical guide in addition to my parents but he was more of like the the outside mentor in my life and i would and you know being in a martial arts studio very eastern based and he practiced yoga so he's very in tune with the eastern ways and he would he told me he's like listen the only reason i'm teaching you all this stuff and and, and explaining all these things to you is because you're asking me and you know, I, we just like you and I, he and I would have conversations after class for 30, 45 minutes, hour, hour and a half, go out to eat, uh, go to his uh, house and just continue the conversation, just just whatever. And it was just these, it was like these really deep, spiritual, moral, philosophical, ethical, ethical conversations. And, and it's funny, but you would look at everybody else in the studio and he would never have that relationship with them because they weren't asking. Yeah, he goes, listen, buddy, I don't need a protege. I don't need a uh, confidant or anything. Like, I'm cool with how it is, but you're asking me these things, so I'm teaching you. And he, one time he took me on a weekend to 
the SRF Lake Shrine uh, Self-Realization Fellowship. It's uh, Paramahansa Yogananda's organization. Oh. And so they have uh, several locations all over the world. And in L.A., there's one in Mount Washington, I believe, which I don't know where that is. That's somewhere in Los Angeles. And there's one in Pacific Palisades. That's the one we went to. That's where the Lake Shrine is. That's where Gandhi's ashes are, actually. I was actually there that Saturday. Not that that exact location. Palisades. But I was in that area, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, but again, that's the kind of relationship we had. He is that true? Gandhi's ashes is not I think some of them wow. are. Yeah. Yeah. No, Yogananda was uh, active, I would say like professionally active as a, as a world figure, politic, uh, religious figure in like the 40s, 50s. 30s, 40s. I remember 30s, 40s, 50s. It was like a sensation. Like there's people like in those days would just like line up to see him. He was he, such a cult figure. He brought it to the West. Yeah, he really did. Yeah, he brought that, the whole Indian thing to the West. Uh, one of the first people to do it, at least. And, um, but again, like we, he took me there on a weekend. He goes, and it's like, I would never take a student here, ask a, a student to come with me. This is only because you have such a thirst for this and you're really asking me. It's like, and I'm glad to teach, kind of a thing. Don't you think it's interesting, at least uh, for me, that there's something really attractive about those Eastern philosophies and religions? Like, like the, like, there's so much from, actually, they, I have a couple theories they, on why that is. Yeah. Th it's been said that philosophy really originated in India like like 4,000, 5,000 years ago. There, there's a I, saying. I, I be, I, and then from there, I seeds of that. it were planted in the Middle East, and from there it went to Greece. I mean, th it's been said that. But we all know Greece. We know all, like, you know, Athens and how philosophy was started there, and it went from the Romans, and then obviously the Dark Ages is kind of a bad time. And then, yeah. you know, elements of it were still preserved. Uh, and it... But something about Eastern philosophy that's really attractive, I think, to a lot of people. I, I think it's the oneness with the world around. Yeah, you. there's this whole idea of oneness, unity, circular, infinite, endless. Yeah, one, oneness yeah. is really it fits into a lot of people's idea about the world because it makes sense to them. It, like, there's one God, right? Like, you know, at one point we had many gods, but all the major religions are just one God. There's one universe, and yeah, we have all these different pieces, but e all it all comes down to one. Like, the simplest, like, nature likes simplicity, right? It's like Isaac Newton said. It all comes down to one. And anything that promotes that way of life, I think it's really attractive to a lot of people. And I think that's fascinating. Yeah, I think that's one reason, too. I've always felt that the, uh, well, another thing I heard is uh, India's original name was Bharat, which stands for Land of Light, or wow. something like that. And uh, so that's spelled B-H-A-R-A-T. And you think of it, Krishna's full formal name is Bhagavan Krishna. Yeah, there's a similarity in the name. B-H-A, uh, what's another one? The Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, the famous the, book. The Song of God. The, 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 the Song of the Universe. It's, it's Song of Light. It's several transitions, but Bharat, Bhagavan Krishna, Bhagavad Gita, it's all this. Yeah, so I think to say philosophy originated in India, I would not, I would definitely not oppose that at all for a few reasons and another thing i would say the reason why eastern ways tend to be so attractive to the west i think it's largely because it's just different than us and no it's same concept of if you have pizza every day then a hamburger might sound really good yeah. after that too because it's just it's just something different that you haven't had in a while and because and i've noticed this a lot about japan especially china japan korea i mean all those asian countries but really japan they love the european thing 
Yeah. Especially the they really like like the British thing. Even though the they Italian have a really thing. cool culture to us. Yeah, to like, us, everybody loves why sushi, would you want anything ramen, different? Mario. Oh, the Japanese way is so cool. Kimono, samurai swords. They, yeah. they see that every day, you know. And then like when Bruce Lee brought all of his stuff here. That was quite new to us, and that's why I think another reason he was such a sensation. He's probably that's just the way he grew up. Now I, I do like a lot of Bruce Lee stuff, the Tao of Jeet Kune Do and his whole philosophy and everything. But it's the whole idea that I think that's one reason it tends to be very popular with Westerners is just because it's different. <laughs> it's it's not a god on a cross and uh, kneeling on the pews and going to confessional. It's like oh everybody's familiar with that. I mean I like there, there's a lot of religious people out there that like they do not want to stray off the yeah. plantation like they they refuse to like if you introduce them to any yeah. foreign ideas yep. to them they live and die by one book and one way of thinking and i mean that's to them that's having faith and devotion but my whole thing has always been like like it's a big world out there and the truth is probably really mysterious like nobody knows exactly the essence of god and the world and why we i mean these are questions the most intelligent people have been trying to answer for thousands of years and it's like, you know, they just want to look at it one way instead of exploring all these different thoughts and, and seeing, hey, maybe there's some benefit in Buddhism, right, that maybe oh, you didn't have in Christianity. Something. I'm not saying yeah. give up Christianity and go to Buddhism, but, like, explore the world because it's a big world out there. Like, you don't want to just sit in your backyard and say, this is my backyard, I love it, it's beautiful. You want to go see the land around Dude, you. You want to go to other countries. No different than when, you know, you were writing essays in college. Were you ever, ever allowed to write an essay with one source? It's like, no, you always need multiple sources when you're writing these things. When you're writing a research paper, it's this idea that, what's it? It uh, got it, carried it, away, it, though. I it mean, takes, it, was, uh, it was ridiculous it, at college. Like, I had, a, I had a professor once saying, I had 25 sources. It was a big paper, and she, yeah. she said I needed more. I was like, well, at that point, I'm not writing a paper anymore. You're like, just like copying I'm, and I'm pasting. I'm regurgitating other. I'm just piecing together things. And uh, am I really here for that? I mean, like, <laughs> do I have any say in what I like? Well, this well, this leads me into the next thing. I want, well, eventually, I want to talk about this, but that's a good segue. Is uh, one of your uh, short essays you wrote? I was looking at it recently. It was, uh, I believe, it was number two or number three. It was on education, and um, you're basically talking about stuff like that. Like, what? Why are we here for education? And, Alan Watts put it really well, and I will always quote Alan Watts all the time. He's like my guy. Um, he's like, you know, now you can go take uh, courses on Kundalini Yoga at UCLA for credit, and it's pretty funny. He goes, and we've 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 lost the idea of what education really means, and the and the reward for learning French should be to understand French, to speak French, and to enjoy being around French people, not the degree. Not the and degree. and it's like. So yeah, you need more sources. It's like for what to to meet a quota in your mind to make me work harder to, you know, if I you know even Carl Jung he even was talking about some of his uh, uh thesis papers he was writing in in, in university and his uh, what do you call them advisors the thesis advisors yeah the doctoral they they would thesis. be like if you don't change this right now I'm gonna kick you out of the program because there's no way you wrote this and he's like are you kidding me because it was what he wrote was so profound they couldn't believe that this little it has to be from kid, somebody else he stole it yeah. yeah but that's just the, the 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 farce and nonsense that can really seep into academia is that kind of stuff I I think it's just become very bureaucratic the education yep, system yep. It, it's become super organized and certain it's bought like everything's kind of organized in categories and teachers there's no room for organic yeah, it's just like you go to these lectures and 
you know, you sit there for an hour and the teacher gives a lecture and sometimes it's really interesting. More often than not, unfortunately, it's just, you know, you're just trying to keep up with them and taking notes and you're yeah. so focused on taking good notes. Oh, I agree. You're, you're missing the essence the of essence. what he's saying. And that's why I really have a lot of respect for like, like, like guys like Plato and Aristotle because, and so academia, the word comes from the, the academy that Aristotle oh, sure started. I mean, from it there. all comes from yeah. there. And before that was the Lyceum with Plato, and then obviously Plato was a student of Socrates. Socrates never wrote anything. So anything mm, we know about him is from his students that wrote about him. And the way they taught was literally they would get together in a group, kind of like what we're doing, wow. but like maybe 10 more people. Yeah. And they would really take turns. Like one guy would ask the teacher a question, and the teacher would talk for a little bit. And the teacher would like, get the other students involved too. And sometimes students would have like objections, something didn't make sense to them. They jump in, and the teacher would try to see if their objections are worthy, or if there's something he could say to let him know that maybe he's looking at this wrong. And and it was just it was a very, very organic. It was a very interactive type of learning, and that was what was really the essence of their education system. And we it's don't in have real time. That. We really don't have that. I mean, well, because everything has recorded these days. And what I mean by that is, you know, they just had what at best wax tablets to write on or something, and it's not like they had any video cameras to record it, no audio things to record the sound. Uh, they didn't really have advanced really uh, note taking, and um, there was no uh, TAs really, and textbooks, workbooks, online resources, YouTube videos, articles. So what I'm saying is like, you can almost look at all those things nowadays as, of course they're immensely helpful, and I agree. Oh yeah, but I mean, they can also be huge crutches because because it's other material that you can kind of regurgitate and not have it. Um, have you actively participate, actively think in real time and process information like we're doing right now, and you can just go on autopilot. And, and you look at a lot of teachers nowadays, and I hate to say it, but this is largely present in the in lower education, like K through 12. Um, universities, hit and miss. Sometimes you can have some total just regurgitators of textbooks. You know, they practice law by day and then just hand out exams at night. <laughs> but um, I, I, no, I think you just made a really, really good point. The the when you mens mentioned uh, the amount of information that's easily easily, easily available, it's a blessing and how it's and a like curse. a crutch because can it's be. amazing how quickly we can like access stuff. But mm -hmm. at the same time, it's it's also a negative in a way because it's making us not lazy. Really, yeah, w it, mentally lazy. Yeah, in a way. absolutely. You know, we rely on this, so you know, okay, now we can just think about other stuff. Like yeah, and know. I'll never forget one of my hands down actually. Not even one of my my favorite professor in university. He was the department chair, the civil engineering at CSUN. He still probably is, and um, I took him for statics, mechanics of materials, and vibration analysis. And he's my favorite professor. And because, first of all, he was just such a master of all the material he taught. It's just all that guy needed was a, a whiteboard and a marker. He didn't need any textbooks. He didn't need any calculators. He didn't need any supplemental material. You, YouTube videos, workbooks, nothing. It, it was, was self it was all in here. Yeah. And I've always felt unless you know it to that level, you don't really know what you're talking about. And but the other great thing about that is his lectures were so engaging and you could feel like he was really there and you were really le learning something because he was just actively doing it in real time. He's not looking at a worksheet saying I just got to get through this worksheet through the rest of the class and okay, and then so obviously guys, next step you uh you square both sides, right? And there's it's you're in total autopilot there. Yeah. And he, because I remember he specifically told us too, 
He goes, I don't like lecturing with notes because notes make me lazy. And I remember one or two times he had some notes in front of him and it was a massive difference in how he was lecturing. Yeah. And I think it's probably because he was just tired or just had other busy stuff because, you know, as a department chair, he lectures for an hour and a half and go takes care of administrative stuff for the rest of the day. But, um, but yeah, it's like the material can make you lazy. I've been, every once in a while, some students ask me a question that uh, makes me scratch my head and I have to refer to something and I can feel the genuinity just just being sucked out of me because I have to refer to something else. It's not coming from inside of me. Yeah, and it's, I don't know. I, I just think that each each of us has our own unique talents and our yeah. unique perspectives. Yeah. And um, if the education system would just do a better job of, having kids express themselves more as opposed to just uh, fit a that's certain hard. narrative from that the teacher is prescribing. And I think that's why a lot of kids get frustrated at school because... I agree. You know, I totally agree. Another issue I'm seeing is it's just like a good teacher can explain something that pretty much almost everybody can understand. They oh, can break it down. I said that in my last podcast. And it's just, I, I we just overcomplicate things. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I know some things are very complicated, like astrophysics. Sure, sure. There's they a can lot of be. formulas. But there's a lot of things that, like, especially, at, you know me, I'm, I love finance and business as yeah. well. And in the investing world, I mean, like, you go to business school for that, you got to take, like, like 10 weeks of, of, of classes to understand, like, investing. And it, it's a really simple concept. They literally could teach you everything you need to know the first day. But then again, it raises the question, what do they do for the next nine weeks? And it's almost like they have to fill it. They got to pad it up, you know, like they have to fill the time. And, and Education is a construct. It's uh, the university is this structure that, you know, has its requirements and way that it works. And that's how you turn knowledge into a course. And I always like to look at it this way is humanity came before education. So um, the problem is, is people are trying to retrofit human nature into education. And that's the kind of those are the kinds of concessions you have to make is you have to segmented i you ever seen those and this sounds like a total off tangent but it's, it's it'll okay make sense. i like off tangent um you ever seen those like uh, japanese fish markets and they cut up the huge tunas yeah i've seen them there's always inherently waste when you do that because you know when you go to the you know japanese market which i do <laughs> and you buy like the little chunks of tuna for sashimi or sushi it's always like in these rectangular prismatic blocks and it's like Man, I'm getting that's, hungry. That's <laughs> <laughs> but the idea is that you can consider that as the education system. Yeah. The tuna doesn't come in rectangles. It comes as this organic, uh, off-shape, weird thing, and you and then it's it's human nature and intention that segments it and, and makes uh, what was once continuous now discrete, predictable, calculable, structurable, scalable, and everything. And that's what they have to do to education. It's like Alan Watts said it really well, too. He goes, the world is wiggly. And what he means meant by that was you know wood isn't square wood moves and it's weird and this and that but everything we have if you look around in society and civilization everything is rectangles squares triangles and like those don't really exist in nature no they don't there's no perfect square there's no these are all concepts of the mind i mean david hume talks about this mm -hmm. and because uh, uh, i mean he's an empiricist yeah he's an empiricist but he talks mm. about like how you know there there's a lot of things that we think are in the world but they're just not they're just they're, they're just, just ideas things that we yeah. use to explain a formula or a, a, a concept or theorem mm -hmm. and the world is wiggly there there's no such thing as a straight line yeah how like, do you there's define nothing a straight in, line? in the in the universe how do you define a point it, it's just a mathematical concept that we created to help us illustrate mathematical yeah theory. there is this really cool youtube series i like to watch and i think it's like 10 years old um but it's this guy that explains 
up to the 10th dimension and it's a series like the first the second the third the fourth the fifth and he has several little sub videos on it but the whole series is like an hour and some minutes long and i only know up to like the fourth dimension i know that's time and then fifth and sixth that's when i get lost i was just like wow well even then he says it's not quite time he calls it duration for some reason instead of time but it's the you can consider the subsequent dimensions as more of honestly concepts and ideas because a we truly can't experience them as being human beings but what he's saying what in those was where's i going with this um what are you talking about fifth dimensions and um, well imperial empiricists and well that there's no perfect straight okay line. yes okay exactly so he's talking about you know what is a point well a point symbolizes like you know that's the one that's actually the zeroth dimension because a line here's how it works so take a, a line segment is made up of two points that's called one dimensional because it just has one direction so it takes two zeroth dimension objects to make a one dimensional object so then you need two two dimensional objects to make no i take that back so okay it takes it takes two points to make a 1d line it takes three points to make a 2d plane it takes a minimum of four points to make Make a 3d 3D surface and it takes a minimum of five points to make a 4d Uh, space so to speak and then it's like how do you extrapolate from there but even if you think of a point if you were to draw a point on a piece of paper well a point being zeroth dimension means it can't have no length width depth or nothing so even if you draw a point it has a surface area it has a thickness people think oh i drew it on it occupies space uh, exactly smallest degree they say like oh i drew it on paper so like a pencil on paper so it has no height no technically that lead has thickness on that paper that has length within height that's very much a volume um I was reading. It's an I idea. I can't remember How if can it was you Kant or Hume, but he, they were point. basically saying that even time itself isn't really outside of the human mind; doesn't exist. Meaning that all time is is a sequence of of the objects in space that are moving, mm-hmm. and this object moving there, and and we measure that, and it goes back billion years or one minute or two seconds. But like outside of our minds, it, it's just movement. That's all it is. And we, time is basically a, a human construct to organize things to that organize, we don't just understand. Just like the number system. It's kind of interesting, yeah. Just like the number system, like, you know, and people say, is math intrinsically natural? I think we've found ways to make it fit our world, but I don't know if it has any intrinsic meaning or not, just like time, and that was Einstein's thing. I, I think time is like anything you can master, and what I mean by that is, you can understand it more and more, but you can't, I don't think you'll ever really, truly grasp it. I think Einstein understood time much better than we Since do. Since we're on the subject, I don't know if you heard this, but I, I'm pretty sure it's Einstein. According to Einstein, it's possible to go forward in time, hmm. but you can never go backwards. I, and it's probably I, something about an entropy If I remember correctly, universe. the way you go forward in time is if you're in a vessel and you can travel around Earth at the speed of light, a certain series of time uh, with enough cycles, you start to perpetuate time forward. 
that, that that's what Einstein. It was kind of crazy. Yeah, what does that even mean? Because like, what if somebody's watching you from like he actually outside. proved it with like an equation and like like I forgot exactly how, but I remember reading about that. I was like, whoa, that's mm -hmm. true. But according to Einstein, you can never go back in time. It's theoretically possible to go forward in time, but never backwards. Yeah, I don't really know the the the, the true Since deep physics of that, but I would probably suspect. And just put the mic more oh. yeah, in front of you. Yeah, you always gotta like you gotta move it wherever you're going. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh. You know what they mean by an entropy-driven universe? Basically, it's entropy is this... I'm not a, really an expert at it, even though I took thermodynamics, but I barely passed. <laughs> um, entropy is essentially what you can call disorder in the universe. And the whole notion is the law of... I believe it's the second law of thermodynamics. Don't quote me on that, even though it's on record. But um, it's the law of increase of entropy, which basically says entropy only ever increases. It can never steady state or decrease and what that means is disorder constantly goes forward and the universe is headed ultimately for this ultimately disorderly demise and so i guess once so i look at that as you can't go backwards and turn what was and, and go backwards in the disorder so I'm, I'm sure it has something to do but with that given what you're saying but you can accelerate the disorder given what you're saying there is still some organization also because of the laws of nature like, the laws of sure. gravity are applicable no matter what part of the universe just, you are. Just like somebody starts the play and ends the play. And that's that's a fascinating thing, is that universal intelligence. The fact that we could come up with things, like the, you mentioned a numbering system and how that could be human yeah. construct. But yet, the fact that we have the intelligence to do that and we could have that reflected in the real world, that suggests an intelligence in the universe. And right. that's where philosophers and mathematicians even though they give up oftentimes religion they never fully give up god because of that intelligence because they see it if anybody sees this as them these are the guys that are, that are inventing the or not inventing but they're discovering like real, discovering these theorems and there's these amazing there's, discoveries there's always a strangely intimate connection between like mathematicians physicists and philosophers as though they were totally related which i really think maybe at their depth they are because it's in some way shape or form they're all con uh, concerned with finding some sort of deep ultimate truth in whatever respective field that they're studying <laughs> one one is just a little more literary or numerical than the other I, I think the one guy that comes to mind that try to combine everything mathematics uh, physics, uh, philosophy, and even religion was a guy named Leibniz who... Leibniz, yeah, the calculus he, yeah, guy. Yeah, he created cl calculus, and he had this theory of monads. And he literally, with this theory, he basically harmonized both the atomic world and the spiritual world. Like, according to him... I gotta study that then. Yeah, he, he believes like that there's two types of atoms in the world. There's physical atoms, which we know... Well, they, I, that they that make I up, agree with. They make up all the the, the building blocks of, of what we use to study. Quarks, leptons, all the stuff we can... Yeah, yeah, like that make up the universe, that mm -hmm. everything we physically can see. And then at the same time, he believed there was an energy source that was also running across everything. And he called those spiritual atoms or monads. And oh, it, it was, it, he wrote like this very controversial book. And like that sounds like a slang term. Monads. Well, uh, <laughs> like, bro, pass the monads. Well, he, he came up <laughs> with that word and like that's what... that. He, mona, monadology, that's what his book was called. Oh, that sounds a little bit. But he calls them monads. <laughs> Because <laughs> it sounds like gonads. Yes, yeah, I know you're gonna go with. <laughs> I know you're gonna go there. How could you not? <laughs> but um, no, that is pretty funny. I have, I've. It's funny of all the stuff I've studied in that respective field. I've, I'm, sh 
now that I think about it, I'm sure you've told me that word before. I just kind of forgot about it, but I gotta look more into it. Yeah, I studied Leibniz for like I think a one or two classes in college. He was a huge. I mean, I, like, I I take a philosophy class, and then like next year I'm taking another class because see I'm, I I graduated as a poli sci major, right. but I minored in philosophy. Philosophy, yeah. But I took a few extra classes than was required because it was, I I thought it was so interesting. Right. And I remember one year I I went back take some other like more advanced classes and there was Leibniz again they, they, he, he kept popping up like in all these different courses so obviously he was really important in academic sense in the philosophical department so yeah I wonder um it's funny in my mind he's just he was in my calculus book I just know him as a mathematician that's and he has this like type of calculus derivative notation named after him and that that's my extent uh, of understanding he's of him. really famous for his theory of best of best of all possible worlds so according to leibniz he thought that god who is all wise and all yeah. infinite he's capable of creating all these different possible worlds and out of all the possible worlds that could be he obviously being the wisest and good and being so good he's going to pick the best one and that the world that we're living in is the best of all possible worlds well fast forward 50 60 years later voltaire made fun of him with his book Candide, which is, a vi is of all the books, that's his most famous book. Mm -hmm. And in that book, it's about this guy who's going to Portugal with his friend. His friend gets killed. There's an earthquake there, which there really was. 60,000 people die. But he's always positive. That's okay. We live in the best of all possible worlds. So it was like a satire against Leibniz because the world was so shitty, and yet it's okay because it's the best of all possible worlds. So it was a kind of a famous theme in the 18th century. Just like, don't be so mad, it could be worse <laughs> kind of a thing. He had, he had a lot of interesting kind of silly uh, ideas as well, but he was a highly intelligent dude. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Well, that kind of reminds me of going back to more like that 10th dimension stuff. I was, it's funny, I was like listening to this 10th dimension stuff like every night for like days, weeks on end because I was like, in my mind, I felt like if I just understand what this guy's saying, I like understand the secrets of the universe. <laughs> and um, so, yeah. Okay, so 3D surfaces and 4D is you could say it's. Uh, he said, "Here's how you have to think of looking at the next dimension." And here's kind of how I interpret it: is whatever dimension you are at means that you are, in a sense, the master of all dimensions beneath it. Which is to say that we're not actually quite um, creatures living in a uh, a 4d world because you can't experience the 3d world fully and what i mean by that is the way he described it is it still takes time for light to travel to and from an object that you're seeing so you're not seeing it fully as it happens and and you won't until i guess you reach the speed of light or something but um if we were truly 4d figures we could it's, it's kind of hard to describe, but it's like you could see through 3D things. Like, I can't see the other side of that no. fireplace right now. And that means I'm not truly a 4D creature because I could master the 3D world in that sense. And another way he describes it is they always use this analogy of what they call a flatlander. So imagine, like, literally a playing card, like a king or a queen on a playing card. And they're, they're in the 2D world. That's it. So we can fully see that playing card because it's for sake of argument 2d but they can't really see us and if we were to touch it all they would see is like this dot if a sphere was to go through that and the way they describe it is if this is i don't have a card on me actually i do like if this was the card and 
pretend this is 2D and a sphere or some 3D object goes through it, they're not going to see this weird object. They're first are going to see a series of points touching and Resistance. then and then once that goes through it, all they see is the cross section, circular cross section of it changing. So it's this weird like imagine a sphere going through it it touches the card at a point and then it starts to form a circle like this and then it reaches the equator and it reaches its widest and then as the circle starts to fade away it starts to shrink back into a small circle and then a point is that to get through the card through the card yeah. so what i'm saying is but we don't see that right they don't see that because they're on a 2d plane we're this weird 3d object going through them and all they saw it is a point a circle and a point so it's the idea that bring a 3d figure we can see everything about this 2d world as though it was a blueprint to us so but that's an analogy you can think of subsequent dimensions well what you just talked about a, a 5d world is made up of several 4d things what you just talked about is really what david hume's famous book was all about and he was the ultimate skeptic because he believed that we can never really fully know mm -hmm. anything mm -hmm. even the idea of mm -hmm. cause and effect is yeah we could be misled because we're in it because all we could see is we're what our it. senses let le tell yeah. us that they're limited we're still in it they can be deceived. we're still inside the snow globe yeah. And it's just like even cause and effect. I might think something's causing it, but what if something's behind that causing that mm. thing? And that's not really what's causing it. So for him, cause and effect was really, it's not an absolute for human beings. It's just a way of explaining our perceptions. Yeah. And it's not necessarily an absolute in, in the world. I don't think, you don't I don't understand think the anything world fully. is, I don't think anything is. And I think, you ever heard of the, the, uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect? Mm-mm. You, I would say you're aware of it without knowing you're Probably. aware of it, but it's this whole concept of it's a you can consider it a competence versus actual competence versus perceived competence competence scale, and usually in the beginning of something when somebody first starts something call it beginner's luck, you could call that low actual competence high perceived competence, and then you start learning a little more about it and then you realize oh, wow, I kind of suck at this, actually. <laughs> and that's when your perhaps your actual competence is getting higher, but your perceived competence is lower. lower. So the Dunning-Kruger effect kind of does this. It starts off high, it starts to go down, and then it starts to rise again later. And then at the very end, like at the finish line, you could say it's now you're your professional athletes, world-acclaimed figures, high-perceived competence and actually high competence. So um, I have no idea where I was going with that. Um, Oh, like we we, we, we don't really know, know anything, yeah. and it's like once you really start to look at things, and you've had—I mean, I'm That's only what 28, and you've experienced life, and if you think you have it all figured out. That's beginning of the Denny Kruger. High perceived competence, low actual competence. It's like that guy, um, dreams of Jiro, dreams of sushi. It's like yeah. there's no perfection. There's no, I, I've been is. doing it for 80 years, 75 years. I'm not even close to being a perfect, making the perfect. Right. I can only make the best possible sushi I that I can I, make I, today, so right now. That's why, present. My, if I can give any advice to people out there, like whether you're young, you're middle aged, or even if you're old, it's just like the goal is every day when you wake up to be a little better than you were the next before, day before, a little wiser. A Yogananda. Little bit, yeah, you know, as long as you live by that principle, you're gonna be fine, and you're gonna be a better and better person. And I think. Yeah. If we all strive for that goal, I mean, like, that would be... And it's funny, so, so many major religions, philosophies, ways of life, practices, 
always have their own version of that, which you just said. And Yogananda uh, spoke a lot of the parallels between East and West, largely due to the counsel of his guru in India. And I believe the, I don't know if I know the quote directly, but it was something along the lines of, you are going to go to foreign lands where blunt assaults on the ego are not duly appreciated. And basically he told them, you got to water your techniques down and kind of westernize them a bit. And they're going to take much better to um, a isn't foreigner. That a, isn't that a spiritual teacher that told him that? That one guy that would c pop up in and out of his life? And oh, he was that's, supposedly that's, like that's Mahavatar that, oh, Babaji. Okay, that, okay, that's that's, that's another guy. Okay, that's, sorry. But, um, but this like his actually consider him like his instructor. And he said, and they're going to be much more... Um, keen to listening to a man from the east when he has a university degree as opposed to not having one so yes finish your degree even though i know you hate it and and that's why i think he always found he, he made a book called uh the yoga of christ or something like that hmm. and um, or yeah the yeah the yoga of jesus christ and it was basically it was basically that it was um f striking parallels between east and west because it would appeal to us more and um, one of the things he, so in autobiography of a yogi, he always talked about, um, he always put in biblical quotes. And one of them was, like you were saying, like every day improve a little bit. And so that quote was, I die daily. Oh, I, I, I die daily and I'm, I wake up the next day. As in, as in you're born afresh, new each day. And it's, well, that, well, that kind of reminds me of something I, I always felt that. Like, every day, we're a little different. I'm not the same person I was yesterday. Mm -hmm. And if you go back 10 years, the change is even more dramatic. You go back 20 years, it's even way more. It's just like every little day, we're always changing. We're moving, not only physically, but mentally. You hear water? Yeah. I think it's somebody's ticket. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, we're, we're physically and mentally changing because that's, like, it's all about movement. Like, nature is movement. We're moving both on the mental that's and, and I think, physical. Yeah, that's why I think it's so important. It's funny, Marco, he always told me about that and like how many times that guy has counseled me through breakups <laughs> in my really? life. Oh yeah, he's a great listener, consoler when it comes to that kind of Mar stuff. Uh, Marco Espo what's Esposito, yeah. Esposito. And because um, I remember I'm like, oh, it sucks. And I'm like totally in the dumps because like I thought it was going good and whatever. And he's like, man, you, you got to just realize is the world is always changing and everything is the it's it's the fact that th things are constantly in change. And that's the whole Buddhist thing is everything is always evolving, changing, impermanence. And the second you think something is going to stay put is when it upsets you. Yeah. And it's not it's not it's not it's almost not even being OK with accepting that things change. It's just realizing that what that is just the nature of things so to think yeah. anything different is 1000 percent gonna upset you if you don't you. accept it it's gonna happen it's just gonna it's just gonna upset you so it's almost like a sense of learned helplessness what do they say the learned helplessness is a concept to illustrate that is i forget where i heard or read this from but it was like some experiment not that i would ever do this but it was like they put a frog in a pot of water on the stove that was heating up like a really tall pot and it was a frog was trying to jump out, but once it realized, like, it couldn't, so it just uh, it, it gave fuck up. Fuck it, learned helplessness. It just knew. It's, it's but that's what the universe will constantly do to you. Call it God, call it the universe, call it Ho Holy Spirit, call it no, Buddha, wait, wait. call it Brahman. I'm going to challenge that. Do you, think, do you think the frog gave up because learned helplessness, or 
was he realized he's not getting out, so he might as well conserve his energy for that. Could have been like, yeah, you, who knows how complex the the mind of a frog is? Like, because life life will try to hang on. Like some, especially you'll see in animals, animals will try to cling to life as much as they can. There's been exceptions to that rule, though. Like, there's been stories of lions being injured, and they'll literally walk away from the pride and and they'll go in their shade and just die. I think like that has to up. do with willpower, however you describe that, because, you know, you can tell when people are ready to go kind of a thing, as opposed to the person who just wants to fight to see another day, and it's almost like they're controlling their demise. Yeah. I think the li- lower life forms, they will survive no matter what, and it's the higher ones that will know that... Oh, lower and higher, as in, yeah. I think they're just more physically oriented well, being an animal. Well, just their brains... Can analyze they're more primitive, yeah, and yeah. it's like a probably energy is like more. Frog, it, you can't compare a frog to lion. I mean, like a lion has, no, you know, more much more cognition. Their brains are bigger. Yeah, and um, where was I going with that? Oh yeah, so like willpower, Brahmin. Okay, whatever you want. Learn yeah. helplessness. Yeah, before that. Like that. Yeah. Well, let's go forward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just think that. I think it'd be nice if the schools would teach some element of. I mean, I'm not expecting to teach philosophy like the. W- you have to college. want it, and you have to be ready for it. But I think it's. An I'm Im- convinced of that. I, I think it's. I mean, it's such an important subject. I think kids could be receptive of that. I mean, it has to be present, and it's like they're whoever willing, they're finds resonance learn. with it, go for it. If you have the right teacher, they will learn. I'm telling you. I, right, and that's what I was saying. And actually, I believe it was my uh, it was the first podcast. People say, "Oh." Teachers are different. They don't apply to everybody. And I agree. Not a teacher. One teacher is not necessarily the right one for everybody. And they'll even say that martial arts instructors, yoga gurus, your master is your master, not necessarily somebody else's master, for whatever reason that might be. But I would tend to say that a good teacher would generally appeal to the majority than the minority, for the most part. Like, anytime you've had, like, a good math or science or English or history teacher, most people in the class probably like them. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, and we have a shitty one. Most people can't stand them. Yeah, I remember the shitty ones. It was a sh- always the shitty ones where it was a struggle to get an A or B. It was just like, oh god, tell either me they were it. too tough or yeah. people just didn't have interest in their class enough to do well. Mm-hmm. And I tell people that I just had a student of mine who dropped a calculus course. I will say, I, in my deepest heart, kind of was hoping she would only because it's a six-week calculus course in college. I wouldn't even want to take well, that. I took one of those. I dropped out the first uh, week That's or two. That's incredibly fast. First of all, calculus one I took as a full-year course in high school. If you take a regular calculus course in college, it's a one-semester class, what, 12, 14, 16 weeks or something. So she took a six-week calculus class. And, you know, she could have done it, but, you know, math has always been something she's kind of had to study at. So I was just like... I don't know how she's going to get by. But, but what I told her was, I'm like, look, always really look at any class you take in college like you're reviewing a contract. There's good contracts and there's bad contracts. Yeah. And take this from somebody who's had to repeat many classes before. I was running out of repeat units at CSUN. <laughs> um, you could take the same class with two different professors, two different textbooks, two different expected workflows and how they grade. And you get the same credit and one might be hell and a half and one might be quite sustainable. And it's like, you're right. These teachers that make the class hard, they're making it hard. Now I've had some good teachers where the class is difficult, but they teach you really well. 
and their exams are not unfair. They just have a high standard, but they really teach their ass off, so they can get away with it. But there's teachers who just make their class unnecessarily, totalitarianly difficult. One advice is if you're going to take that kind of a calculus class, make sure the teacher doesn't have a strong accent. Because it's funny she <laughs> specifically said that. I have a hard time understanding this Th teacher. Because that's what <laughs> happened to me. I took one of those courses. And, and the that happens a lot in university. The teacher was, I think, from like, per, like South America. Like, and you know why I, I took it? I figured, you know what? I can get the same credits. I don't have to do a year. Oh. <laughs> and I'm getting ready for college. It's going to look good on my resume. That's that was, what everybody that was, thinks. That's, that's probably what she was thinking, too. That's exactly what she was thinking. And yeah. so I took the I t we The first day, the teacher comes up, and he's talking. And he I'm like, damn, this guy's got a heavy South American accent. And I turned to this guy next to me. I was like, dude, I'm having a hard time hearing him, like, understand what he's saying. And he's like, yeah, me too, man. I don't know, dude. I don't know about this course. And I did my best. So we took the notes. We had a test at the end of the week. And... There's, I think, 40, 50 students in the class. And I think 80, 70 or 80% of the class failed the test. That sounds about right. Like, there failed? was one, Yeah, I got a 40, I got a 44% on my test. I thought I did awful. I was like, dude, I think I got the worst score on the test. I was like, what'd you get? This guy, I was like, 44. He's like, dude, I got 35. And then I'm like, wait a minute, what? Then I started asking around. I realized that was yeah, like an average. The yeah. 40s was an average. People usually fail their first class in college. I didn't pass my first class my first semester. Actually, I did, I did very well my first semester. A's, B's, A's, B's, and then a D in chemistry lab. I got a A in the lecture, but I had a tyrant of a lab instructor. Oh, she was horrendous. People hated her. It was the, the I'm not going to say names, <laughs> but um, the, like the, second or third or fourth lab we had the department chair of chemistry come in saying like hey listen guys i know i've had a lot of complaints this is the second third week of class and this guy was like basically consoling us like i know she's been really hard on you guys and she was just straight up demeaning she was this so sh demeaning arrogant elitist she was this short little sounds like a nightmare she was a short little sprite uh lady and I think some of the first words out of her mouth when in, in lab was um, everything was, if you do this, I'll fail you. If you do this, I'll fail you. If you do that, I'll fail you. And then some people were asking her questions on stuff, and she, a few people asked her the same thing. And she's like, guys, listen, realize this is dumbass chemistry, what you guys are doing right now. And, like, you're asking me all these questions. And I'm just like, it's not the worst when they start off so negative like Really? That? And I equate it all the way down to fear. There's no reason to be like that unless you're fearful, scared, and because when you can use fear tactics like that, you scare people, and they might do what you say, and eventually I had to retake that class, um, and it sucks because it's like, you realize I'm getting an A in this lecture, and I'm getting a D in the lab, and it like was... That, that says more about you than it does about me, because especially if you've been getting good grades across the board with all these had a teachers, B in calculus, classes. A in English, A in my engineering class, it's makes you wonder how they get that job like maybe just not pure, get to not get that job it's, it's tas teach these 101 labs because uh the is that what she was a ta yeah she was a master's oh. she's a grad grad student teaching a chem 101 maybe lab she's just miserable that she's been there for so long and she's not like i i first I think it's a few things a i think she's actually very smart b never quite gotten along with chemistry people oh. and i'll tell you what i think it's a personality thing the chemistry people and engineering people are very different people think oh you're both into math and science and it's like no it's very different personalities it's like saying chinese food is like japanese food it's like they're both asian but they're very different and 
engineers, I would say, tend to be more on the practical, reasonable side of things. Like, I like to use this analogy. And actually, it works actually very accurately with this. People know exactly what I'm talking about. Engineers, you're, let's say you're sizing the diameter of a pipe that you need for some type of flow network that you're doing. And you your calculations come out to 11.89256 inches. You round it to 12, probably. You can't do that in chemistry. No. Chemistry has a big thing about significant figures, and and you're you're doing things more on a fundamentally scientific level. So your your calculations, and they I do understand, is, yeah. you, you need to have a level of precision that is really truly reminiscent of chemistry, not engineering. And so I was coming in with that mindset, and man, they would knock me off crazy points by adding an extra decimal just the little things you, you would think oh more decimals are better no because that scale measures like this and, and it's like you can't do that stuff and that was a big like mismatch for me but um but then i it's fine i took the class again the lab like a couple years later actually like three years later and i had this awesome lab instructor this dude he was the nicest guy in the world and again it's like i tell my students treat your classes that you're taking these universities like contracts review them look at the rate my professor Read their syllabus, realize their grading scale, see what other students have said about them, what's the pace of the course like, How do, what is their grading system like, because all that stuff makes a difference. And you might think, oh, I really need to take this class this semester because it's offered in the morning and they don't offer it next semester. And sometimes you just really have to bite the bullet and do something if like that. If it's the right teacher and or the right but, class. Uh, but sometimes you're like, you know what, I could take this next semester because this guy's going to offer it and there's a maybe much higher chance you're going to pass that class. And people think, oh, I'm just going to study really hard and I'm going to pass. It's like, it's not always that easy. And like I said, a lot of kids fail their first class when they get to university because they realize they, they don't realize how ruthless the place is because everybody gave them um, a freebie and a pass in high school and see, these te ruthless teachers that will fail you. See, this is like what you just said. This is what troubles me is this notion that, okay, like pass the class. Right, just just pa w make sure you you, you, <laughs> you know like just get through it and it's like that's the that's our education that like that's what i'm paying tens of thousands of just to that's get through it that's the game you got to play it's like, though if you it's like you know i mean especially ballpark. but like I agree. nowadays i see what you're saying you know like first of all the degrees if unless for certain jobs it's a requirement but for a lot of other jobs now it's like those degrees have less value now yeah and you're right you know, people can teach themselves so many things now. I mean, everything is there to learn. I'm the, I'm like, all I do is learn things on and, YouTube. And you can learn what you <laughs> want to learn, not what somebody's telling you need to learn to pass this course, you know. And, and it's just like, I don't know, man. That's why people get, they don't like education. And they come I agree, out of it dude. I absolutely agree. And they don't, they don't and continue I'm in learning. Education. Yeah, they don't because, continue learning. And that's why I didn't want to continue with my master's and that because I'm like, now, especially looking from a, now, you'll agree with this, looking at it from a financial perspective. Forget that it's a degree or a diploma. Just look at whatever you're studying for as an investment, just like you would invest in a business or a house or, or whatever. It's like you're telling me if I give you seventy, eighty thousand $80,000 for this master's degree and I'll pay it off with interest over time that I'm guaranteed a certain amount, then it's like, not really. Yet for some reason, people are extremely scared when it comes to investing like in stocks and 
other things, but they'll gladly clunk down a hundred, hundred fifty grand for education. Well, and because it, they don't it, look it, at it as an investment. You you mentioned the keyword. It is it is a goddamn investment. It I is. Mean, you're not, it's 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 if anything, it's a scarier investment because you're investing your life, your time, a lot of time, a significant lot of energy. significant yeah. amount of energy and money and stress. And then that money doesn't end. You're gonna pay it back later in loans, so you're gonna invest more time working places to pay off that loan. So it's an invest significant investment. Yeah. And you can't you don't want to treat it lightly. But ask people to put ten thousand dollars in the stock market and they freak out, but they'll gladly clunk down a hundred well, grand they in freak university. Out, yeah, they freak out because they have they have the wrong idea of because they to, see their cash going out right away. <laughs> yeah, they think stocks or it's gam they might have heard gambling. They they connotated everything's a trading and it's like no, that's those are the traders. Like just because p some people are doing something doesn't mean everything that they're doing is going to be like that. It's yeah. the people that are like that. And it's not the the subject that they're they're, they're trading. It's you know, the market is the market. It's it's up to you. The risky people are going to be they're going to take risks. A good friend of mine Mechanical engineer, works for a big company, has had successful work for many years, boom, out of work for the last three months. It's uh, like this, especially right now, I mean, so many people are going to get decimated. I was telling your dad earlier, and uh, like I was talking to my sister, you know, she works in the moving industry, and uh, she just found out that. Oh, yeah. Mm -mm. It doesn't look like they're going to be working until at earliest late, January? late, no, like maybe November, November, December. Maybe. Maybe. That's like, maybe. that's if everything goes well. Yeah. Yeah. That's and if you make your straight on the turn. She's depressed. <laughs> she says she's talked to a lot yeah. of people, and yeah. sh she thinks that the the entertainment industry is n is going to be not the same. It's going to really be severely damaged, and I hope not, because especially living in Los Angeles, I mean, it's such a core I industry that, for the city. That is I mean, Los Angeles. Yeah, Los Angeles really it's one of the pillars of the city is, that was built on was the entertainment industry since like 120 years ago. So, it's. It's just it's scary, know, and that work is already so freelance and hit and miss anyway. And now that it's like just, it, especially a lot of those workers are not like you know W two employees. They get hired job per job per job per job, so they don't really have the financial security that a lot of other people have. And it's like, yeah, when you're banking on two, three, four jobs a month, and suddenly nothing for a month, it's well, this devastating. Is, this is gonna bring me to my next uh, transition point. This. Obviously, right now, a lot of people are going to be at home, yeah, and they're going to be by themselves. Sometimes they live with other people, but they're going to be suffering a lot of time with themselves. And some people don't do well with themselves. They get bored easily. And in the old thinking, days, in old days, you just make a out. phone call, you go hang out with your friends, you go to and the you bar, can't do that as much. and you can't do those things. And you can only watch so much TV. So, because this is. So I'm reading this guy named Schopenhauer, and he talks about the importance of your happiness. I mean, I mentioned in some of my yeah. essays of your happiness being self-sufficient, like relying on yourself for happiness as opposed to the outside world. Because Absolutely. Because what... And, and, and I got a lot to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason why you rely on the outside world is in proportion to how empty you feel inside. So you fill it with the things outside of yourself. But the person that is full inside doesn't need the outside. His happiness relies on himself. Hey, so man, if the fish is good, you don't need a lot of soy sauce. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and see, this is where philosophy is important because in difficult times like this, somebody that knows these principles has tr put them into practice, makes an effort. Maybe naturally they're even geared for this, yeah. but most people aren't. It's something you have to kind of train yourself for. It's and depth. It's 
Yeah, it's just like Not people reliant. don't like to be by themselves, and and yeah. it's a mark of a really significant individual and, and a strong intellect to be able to be by themselves and be happy. And and most I think it takes just, a lot of work too. Yeah, it's just it's the inner work because I don't think you can. Oftentimes, I don't think you can be happy with yourself until you've cleared out, taken a lot of work to clear out that inner chaos and muck and ugliness too. And I think that's what bars most people is it's not that they can't be happy with themselves is when they go inside that shit is still a total mess and well, they know when they go inside when, it's when ugly I, and they don't want to be there when i say go into yourself i don't mean to just like just be by yourself and just no look. i know i get what you're saying mentally emotionally yeah, not, not you're not just looking at yourself and just like just not doing anything but when your anything. thoughts start racing in your head and all your anxieties start coming up and your fears and no, your like tics for, and like schopenhauer triggers. says that like you, you're going to be doing your intellectual pursuits you yeah. take pleasure in understanding the world around you, understanding yeah. yourself more, studying, reading, uh, even being creative. You could be making music. You could be making art. You could be writing poetry, writing something. These are all things that will contribute to your happiness within you as opposed to your happiness relying on something outside of you that is riding on the winds of fortune, that are riding on the winds of change at any mm -hmm. moment. You know, If all I care about is material possessions, right, mm -hmm. If my happiness relies on that, yeah. I'm, I measure my happiness depending on how much I have out in the world. Th that's riding on wa choppy waves because it might things might be smooth right Transient now. Transient as autumn leaves. But something could happen where my businesses get devastated or yeah. the markets crash or something happens. And now my happiness is all out of the question because I, I it was built on that foundation, which is shaky. I, I agree. And, I, and that's kind of, it seems a little off topic, but that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about the... The, the best teachers, all they need is just a chalkboard and a piece of chalk. That's all they need because they already have everything inside. They don't need everything else. And you don't realize that until shit hits the fan and you have nothing. And you realize, I can make it on my own. But like, like this, when shit hits the fan and people don't have the clubs and the parties and the bars and the beaches. And it's like now when it's just you and yourself, you realize maybe how empty you are. Maybe how... You don't really know who you are. Maybe you have solely defined yourself through others, through experiences, through material possessions. And it's like, man, I am all chocolate sprinkles and Hershey syrup. I'm no ice cream. There's what? no I wish people, essence there. I wish people would come to that realization. But this is a lot what of it takes, don't even, though. A lot of people don't even get to what you're talking about like because they will run away from themselves at every moment they well, get. That's what I'm saying. They the won't second, even get to that conclusion. That's what I said in, in earlier in another podcast is chaos is loudest in silence. I've always said that. It's, it's when, when there's nothing going on, that's why people constantly need to distract themselves because then that's when the demons start getting loud is when it's quiet. You know how you can know that's true? Next time you're with a friend or a girl, or any, just it could be a friend too, when you're driving the car, just turn the radio off. <laughs> just just pure silence mm -hmm. like just ne or next time you're in a car with somebody else you'll see if you turn it off they'll want to turn radio back on they they, they don't like silence noise. it's funny i love music and i love working out with music and stuff but I mean, yeah I do there, too, there's but something to say about silence too and it's just it's the thoughts uh, it's 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 no different than light pollution when you're trying to watch look at the night sky it makes everything less um visible but when there's no light pollution, you can really see the night sky. So like when there's silence, you can finally see what's there inside of you. But that's really hard for people, man. And I fully understand why it's hard for people. It's definitely not an easy thing. And I think some people have some serious baggage that they're carrying that is totally beyond their control. Maybe their parents did X, Y, and Z to them. 
yeah. and they just have to live with it. No, it's true. That that holds them back psychologically, and it's going to be hard for them to get over that mound and and get to that realization you were mentioning. But it's still possible. It definitely is. You know, there's plenty of stories of people that have awful backgrounds and they made something amazing out of themselves. Or that's true. You know, and it, I it, have. It, it, there's always, and you know, but then again, they were just maybe they were just extraordinary people, and you know, that could have been we, it. Maybe we have too high of an expectation of people. It's funny, I was thinking about this because I started running again recently, um, because gosh, like physically I, running. Yeah, literally, because I'm like, gosh, I have not. I've been good with the weights, and the, I was good with the gym until they closed again, um, but. I'm like, I haven't done cardio in probably like six, eight, nine months or something, like a lick of it. And so I'm like, I'll just start running like one mile at a time. And I'm like, wow, I'm really out of shape. <laughs> and then so I went running with my friend earlier today for a few miles, like two-ish, two and a half miles. And I was like, I know I'll be fine in a couple of weeks. In a month, I'll get back into shape, yeah. no problem. So like the mental hindrance there is very minimal for me because a i've already been in shape and i'm not really that out of shape i'm just relatively very out of shape from where i was and but then i thought to myself that doesn't take a lot of willpower for me because it's not that big of a goal in that sense but let's say a really obese person who's just trying to get normal somebody who is clearly demonstrated they probably don't have a lot of self-control and willpower when it comes to this stuff for them just to get normal takes this much willpower whereas for me just to get normal takes only this much willpower well, so would you have they, to say that it's, so it's harder for the they person fell too far behind and for too long but, but for, it takes an extraordinary yeah. will for somebody who has particularly low will and for people who make that jump that's something well it else. all depends on how badly they want it that's and, i else. mean if they look down to themselves and they realize oh man i really let myself go they have to ask themselves two questions do i want to do I seriously, like some soul searching, right? Do I seriously want to lose some weight or should I give up? Like that's really the question yeah. they have to ask. If they give up, then by all means give up. You know, it's, it's going to be hard to... Some people might. But if they want to lose it, then it's they're going to have to take small steps. It could be just small walking steps, three yeah. blocks Dude, a day. I'm such a and fan then of that. After next week, do four blocks a day. That's why I'm only running a mile a day. And people might say, oh, that's a mile so much. It's like, relatively speaking, for me, not that much. I've done more than that. I think my fastest mile was like 5.15. Yeah, it's pretty good. But yeah, Sean's um, but was like 4, 4.30 or some shit. That's unbelievable. But that's because he was training for well, it. Every day, right. But what I'm saying is I'm such a big fan of Kitty Cat. You need to leave. Oh, my God. We got a visitor. I knew that was going to happen. You know what? I think the cat wants to get in on this conversation. Probably. What do you, what do you have to say about this? We want to get your your opinion on all these subjects. Anyway. Probably the wisest one of us all. Yeah, she sleeps. That's what they say. That's what actually Buddhists said, like, cats are the wisest or something. Like, they, they, they have mastered the art of sleeping or something. But anyway. Um, um, yeah, willpower. So they're, speaking of Japanese, one of my favorite Japanese concepts is called Kaizen. And it's, in a nutshell, it's very much like small, consistent daily tasks as a means of building larger goals. And consider it like the art of the bite-sized yeah. approach. And I love that stuff. Man. Right. And to me, it's like, you know, if you want to get stronger, start doing 10 push-ups a day. It's like, well, I can do 50 a day. It's like, I know you can do 50 a day, but start with 10 because you can do 10 sustainably. That's the key word, sustainably. So, see, I can run a mile a day. It takes me eight, seven, seven or eight minutes. 
probably less, like right around the seven minute mark. So it's like, you're only running seven minutes a day. It's like, I'm not trying to kill it right now. I'm not trying to make these huge improvements. I'm just setting the foundation. So then next week I can do a mile and a half easily and then two miles easily exactly. and then three miles easily and then three miles really fast and then three miles super fast and then four miles instead of hitting five miles right away for a week and then after a week going you're burned out <gasps> okay, i never want to do that yeah, again and exactly. then you fall off it it's yeah you small, want a consistency you don't want to sustainable sustainable that's like the biggest thing biggest thing yeah so now that the gyms are closed it's like you know i, I have to find other forms of physical activity like like I was bad today. I told myself I'm gonna do a bunch of like ab workouts at home, just sit ups and mm-hmm. some of those ab workouts me and you used yeah. to do. Remember you showed me those? And I just I don't know what happened. I, I just I guess I got lazy. I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie. So I'm gonna have to make up for it. But it makes a difference for me when the gym is closed because when like I had a routine. Like it was like I had I had my I had my bag with me, I go to work, Dude, me the gym too. is down the I street. Was on it. Like, you know, at one point I was I literally went two weeks in a row this was about three four weeks ago like a month ago i was i went two weeks in a row every day seven days a week for two weeks then i realized it's kind of counterproductive because you need some rest days right Uh, and it ends up freaking backfiring i start burning the muscle you feel more exhausted you drain becomes a chore physically want to be there so i started alternating to every other day and i was doing well there yeah and then this then they told us that uh First, they said gloves. That was for a week. Mm-hmm. It was gloves. And they're like, fuck it. <laughs> then it's like, and then, then the order was given where it's like time to time to close up shop, man. I remember, like, dude. And, but I think you know, that's, that's so important to make it sustainable because um, then you experience burnout and then you don't get anything done. Then your mood is bad. Then it's, then you, you like, you're worse than what you started with. And I always like to look at it as what's the biggest bite sized chunk you can deal with right now? And I guarantee you it's 10 times less than you think it is. And that's the biggest chunk you can do. Like, yeah, I can do 500 push-ups a day, but I stick with Could uh, you? 150. Probably. I, a day, if I had yeah, yeah, to. Yeah, yeah if I just disperse 500 sit-ups in a 24-hour period, I certainly could. But then you're really sore the next day. You're sore for a few days, and you don't want to spend the time to do that. Start with 100 or 150. Like that, I usually stick it around 150. That's fine. I do like six sets of... And see, I haven't... Bite size that up. I do six sets of 25. Could I blast out a set of 60, a set of 50, and a set of, what, uh, 40? So you, so sure. You do, so you do six sets of 25 sets. That's easy. And you take how much of a break between each set? Uh, honestly, sometimes a lot. Sometimes sometimes I'll do three uh, Sometimes I'll do three of the sets of 25 in the morning and three of the sets of 25 oh, at I night. Oh, I see. So I really disperse it. But you get it done in the day, and it doesn't fucking kill is you. That, is that your main ab workout, just those? Oh, no, push-ups. Push-ups. Yeah. For abs, or that's for, that's for chest. For abs, I do sit-ups. Right? For abs, I do like ninety reps of stuff, um, leg lifts, crunches, and suitcases. And then for back, I'll do like three sets of pull-ups to failure. And then for biceps, I'll do some curls. And for upper body, I'll do just a hundred fifty pushes a day. That's my thing, and at least that keeps you steady. It's not gonna build like benching and squatting and no. deadlifting well, but. Um, It'll keep it there. And again, you just bite size it. Bite size, bite size, bite size. It's sustainable. It's like anything else in it. life though, right? It's just like you want to get good but, at But nobody wants music. to do that because, oh, it takes too long. It takes too much discipline. And it's like, well, that's the difference. You want to learn the guitar? Just, you know, Nothing get a guitar. Like and every day, even if you start off playing for 15 minutes, you know. And, and if, if you have talent, great. 
Yeah, I mean, you'll help. find out if you have talent. It'll help. It's, talent to me is the talent accelerator. Talent take you only so far. Practice is what is the key. I feel like you have to keep it's both. I think it's both. You in have in to the keep sense going. That if you have an extreme of the other, it's not the optimal mix. You sh- you could say uh, there's a lot, and I'll, it's funny people make fun of me for this, but I I was because I'm into photography and I've always liked art and stuff. But as a kid, and I'm I mostly watched it because my sister was watching it, but then I got really into it. Was America's Next Top Model. And to me, it was like, uh, what I liked about it was, and I wasn't into photography then when I first started watching it. I think I just liked the art, artistic, and like the beauty aspect of it. But, because um, I didn't start doing photography until I was like 18 or 19. So a little later. This yeah. I was probably watching it like 14, 15, 16. And um, there was this one season where there was these two twin models, and they both looked identical. So just like phenotypically, physically, they were identical, almost identical. Um, but one was naturally just killing it in front of the camera, didn't have to think twice about it, and would just take these killer pictures. The other one, not nearly as natural in front of the camera, really tried to try hard, and so you could say effort versus talent on the twins. And I'm sure they did this as like a as like a media TV stunt too, just kind of like as a reality TV thing, but so the way America's Next Top Model worked was there was always these two con- two people at the end of every cut and he's like, all right, you guys are at the bottom of the barrel. I only got have one them. photo in my hand. <laughs> who's going to stay? Who's going to go? And she, and Tyra Banks would always reveal the photo yeah. of the person who stayed. And she goes, um, and then uh, I forget what she led up with, but her final words was, um, you know, effort is way more important in this oh, industry than talent is. I think so, so she too. gave it to the to the, the twin that had all the effort in it. And... Dude, I had that in my Santa Monica office when I had that for a hot minute. I had a, and I still have the poster in my room. It's a, the framed poster. It's a greater than talent is practice, greater than practice is heart. Um, um, what, there was also a with poster. heart. If you have a little, uh, with heart, a little bit of talent goes a long way. That's a good one. Have you heard this? The one that's like, I will is more important than IQ. <laughs> <laughs> I I definitely agree with that. Yeah. There's a lot of high IQ people that just low effort, low conscientiousness low um they're just they're just kind of lazy but they're really smart that i think that's where goals come in because without goals it's hard for you to be motivated enough motivated enough to be working so hard that to get you where you need to go right goals because give you something to shoot yeah for, absolutely. if you don't have a mark if you don't have somewhere you want to be right it's going to be hard for you to wake up and say today i'm going to you know i'm going to work super super hard at this whether it's mm-hmm. sports or business or school you know, it's dude. It's, it's like she hard. knows that like we're like filming. Uh, she's she's coming in. Cats. No, it's like in the background. Anyway, yeah. First she was laying out here, yeah. and now she's back there. Mm. You, you need goals to give you something in life, but the question is like, where do those goals come from? And it's like there has to be this inner desire to achieve it something, and I think that is all first found when you find who you are, what it is that you like, what it is that you're good at, what your how your current environment will help you get there. And I think from there, goals can start. Well, that's why I think philosophy is so important. Because yeah, of course. You know, it struck course. a chord with me when I when I studied the subject. It's it w- like anti-nihilism. Uh, <laughs> if there's honestly, if there's any one really good thing I I got from college was that passion. Like I had not yeah, before course. college, I had never studied philosophy. I mean, because high school doesn't teach it. We make yeah, passive, they really don't. They make passive references to it in the history. They classes. just regurgitate the same themes and morals from To Kill no, a Mockingbird and that. Of Mice and Men. Like even history class, they'll talk about oh, in the 18th century there's these guys and then Plato, the 19th, Socrates, and that's it. And we go through it quickly, but we don't ever cover their works. You know, granted, just, I think 
you can only go so deep with that at the high school level. I mean, what, unless you got your, like, I think you would have obviously resonated with it really well, but sample of 100 students, how many of them are really going to resonate with philosophy at 16? I think what I, would, <laughs> what I would do, if I was, if they put me in charge of the education system in America, I yeah. would tell you that, okay, junior high, after eighth grade, for that summer, all students that are about to go to high school, they're going to have to make a decision what their core is going to be. And thy core is either you're going to be... That's hard, though. If either, you, either you feel like you're going to go into sciences, or you're going to go into humanities or English, or you're going to go into, like, a trade, right? Okay. And I then yeah. your classes will be structured in high school based on that. And maybe you could have one or two classes that everybody gets because they're so important, right? Core classes, right. But I think that still is largely... That should largely be based off of a combination of aptitude, temperament... And, um, yeah, probably aptitude and temperament. I think that's a good key there because, um, you know, the school system is, is, is all academic. And people, I think, well, isn't that what school is? No, I don't think school is all academic. I think we've made it all academic. And the problem is is not everybody is academic. And, you know, like, th there's friends of mine who are, like, Cam is a successful tradesman. What the heck is he going to do in some yeah. sort of college degree, white collar job? And tradesmen and contractors, these guys can make. I see. I know a lot of contractors that make way more money than and these college degree individuals. Mean, you're right. That's valuable time for him. That's four years he's going to be spending learning a trade. So by the time he's 18, he's ready to roll. Like he's, yeah. he can be making Aptitude 70, 800 grand a year within a year. Because also there's a lot of really, really smart high IQ people that for some reason just like welding or woodworking or. Uh, you know, being a general contractor for some reason. And it's like people think, well, you know, you should do something better with your life than being in construction. It's like it has nothing to do with being better than that. It's, hey, this is just what I want to do. And it doesn't matter what my IQ is. So I don't think it should just solely be aptitude. It's got to be aptitude and well, temperament. Well, I, th I think construction is, could be equally important as, you know, yes. an academic degree or whatever profession you're going to follow. Well, there, you, they, there are construction management degrees. In fact, my department was a civil engineering and construction management department so there definitely is that but that's definitely more on the like engineering management and design design side of things whereas you know you need your foreman and your contractors and your construction coordinators and stuff and that's all more trade based and people scoff at trades like there are these second rate um low class jobs but man those are jobs that a lot of people couldn't hack because there's a certain level of precision and tact and feel that you need that is not just doesn't just come to anybody. My engineering professor always put it well to me, the one I told you I liked. He goes, uh, I had a student, he used to, I was teaching a, a graduate course in timber design, and one of the questions was like, find the minimum nail spacing required for this beam that is going to be constructed. And he put some, uh, like, microscopically tiny number, like these need to be centered at 0 0.0000000006 inches on center or something. It's like, okay, here's some nails, here's some wood, here's a hammer. Tell me how the fuck you're going to do that in real life. And that's a good example of high intellect, high IQ, no reason, no common sense, no. And, uh, and I've always, um, I've never liked these engineers that think they're better than these construction workers and carpenters and stuff. It's a totally well, different thing. Now, I'm there's some people who are good at both. I don't think that's an engineering problem. I think that's a personal problem. That person grew up that way maybe at home uh, like you know they had this superior air about them they learned picked up from their parents 
I, I know this. It, it, it's not like he became like that by going into school and being an engineering major. It's just he was probably no, always I got, like I got that. He was always like that. Yeah, and he just happened to be an engineering major. I'll tell you why that. engineers tend to be dicks, too, and a lot of these physicists and mathematicians, too, is because looking on a social status, usually pretty low, usually the geeks that got picked on in school, but they're really smart, so now, now, they, it's payback now, now they're yeah. exactly. And it's that's always a story in the movies and stuff is the kid that got picked on finally has some power, got a degree, got a position, has some money, made this incredibly advanced design that's going to rule the world now, and he has, and he comes back with a vengeance. And it's like always some shit like Romy that. Romy and Michelle's high school wedding, have you seen that movie? No. Oh, it's like, uh, you have that scene in there where something like that happens. But this I had guy a guy that was a nerd comes in the reunion, and he's like a super, super rich guy. He rolls in with a helicopter. and Yeah. It's like, yeah, got you. But like, I had a lot of engineering professors that, hate to say it they were like that they finally were wielding the gavel and you know you could just tell there was these short nerdy dudes that just love to just flex in front of the whiteboard like they'll they'll spend 20 minutes deriving this doing this massively complicated derivation and then at the very end he says that's just this formula that's on page one yeah. it's like all right so you just you just like whipped it out in front of us for so they probably minutes. even never listened to tradesmen like on anything right they would just be like his word. Oh, and know? my dad always talks about that with, uh, you could say, discrepancies he has with uh, um, contracted out designs from like mechanical firms and stuff where like a mechanical engineer will do this like design for like an airflow system for the air conditioning. And my dad's like, uh, listen, I know that checks out on paper and shit, but like there's no fucking way we're going to do that here because I got this, I got that, I got that. And if you think we're going to pump that much, you know, CFM in here, you're out of your mind because my system doesn't do that. And that's the difference between, you know, being in the laboratory and being in the field. And there's always that finding that balance between the brainiacs and the people who actually have to take out the nuts and bolts and install the thing. And that's why you have design engineers and you have operating engineers, and they're very different. I I think it's the mark of a wise man to learn from whoever he can learn and of not course. to judge. Of course. Uh, there's, a f there's a famous uh, French writer in the 16th century named Michel de Montaigne. I remember he wrote that oftentimes he learns more from his gardener because he had a castle and there mm. were people that worked his garden. Mm -hmm. He learned more from his gardener and he had more pleasure in his conversations with him than when he went to court with all the lords and the dukes. Oh, of course. I, I can mean, totally see that. It, and this is, I think this is not so all important. Not all knowledge is intellectual and academic. I mean, there's people out there that might not be working those desirable jobs, in quote, sure, sure, right? Sure. But they have, have experience that the other people don't have. They've seen You just things. have a different experience. You can have a conversation with them. They can teach you something that you would never have picked up. You would never pick up from the academic world. It's something that it just isn't there, and that could be beneficial to your life. So you, as a person, exactly. you need to exactly. look for things wherever you can find them and not prejudge, not look down upon people. I think that says more about you than anything. I mean, if you, if you think like that. I mean, that, that kind of arrogance is not going to ever... It'll take you to some level, but... It will never take you beyond that. If if you want to keep advancing, you have to have. If an you open just mind. think you're constantly better, and the way I always like to look at that is, you know, have you like doing DIY projects in the garage takes a lot more know-how and experience than you might think. It's like if I, it could just be something as simple as uh, drill this construction screw into this two by four, do it, and. You try it, and then it splits the two by four in half. And it's like no fucking textbook was going to show you that. You would have to know that once you've been on the job site a few times that you should drill a pilot hole before you drill a fat screw into a two by four because it's going to wedge the fibers out and the whole thing's going to split. But it's like these aren't things you learn in a timber design textbook. All yeah. you know is the calculations of how to do it. But then 
the construction worker and, 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 the, and the framing carpenter has to actually do it all. And he knows all these things that you might consider as unimportant. But, hey, if you had to do his job, I don't think you could do it. Because he learned by he learned by trial by error. That's how he learned. He, he probably oh, yeah. tried it the textbook way, realized this is stupid. Okay, let me try it another way. Let me try Dude, this and, oh, maybe there's another I can't way. tell you how many times I had this beautifully constructed idea in my mind and the formulas worked out on my whiteboard for something I was doing for my tutoring business, whether it was like making a booking platform or making a uh, pricing system or making just whatever, some sort of system algorithm I try to do. And then you actually try to execute it and it's a fucking disaster. <laughs> And it's like the testament to in your head and on paper and in real life are com it's like they might as well be three different dimensions. And it, stuff changes so much as you go from one yeah. to the other, as it descends from, you could say, the <laughs> the mental to the physical, gross, the physical. Yeah. And um, oh, man, I, I was totally going to go somewhere with that. But um, I was going to mention that, you know, it's interesting how often like parents you know, they want to lead their kids. I, I mean, they do it in the name of love and, and they say they care about their parents, but their kids, but they, they try to lead their kids down this path like that they that think they is think best is for right. them. Maybe it's their own path. Maybe they were doctors. and yeah, talk to kids. the Asians about that. And maybe <laughs> they were famous, I don't know, somebody something or an actor or yeah. something. Maybe my child can be an actor too. No, that's not for me. Japanese are notorious for doing they that. They get disappointed and the parents just put so much pressure. It reminds me of this famous story uh, with Beethoven he didn't have no kids but he had a nephew mm. right his brother had a son he, he was like a father figure to him and he had so much pride in his family name he felt like it had to be handed down like somebody's going to carry his legacy this, this is going to be it this nephew right so he would sit down with them he tried to teach him himself but he would get too angry quickly with them because he has, doesn't have a lot of patience i bet man so he brought in his <laughs> one of his students who was also an accomplished composer and his name was carl Cherney. he had him teach him he brought the best teachers for him and one day Carl comes over to him. This is like a year or two later after they're trying to make a composer, trying to uh, teach right. him. Right, yeah, trying he to said, force him down a path. He says, listen, Herr Beethoven, I mean, you're, Beethoven. you're, you're, you're amazing, but your nephew just, he doesn't have it in him. Or he, the desire. Or he refused to believe it. He said, no, he has to have it in me. That's a very Beethoven. German. He, he, he just would never, the kid almost killed himself. Like he literally, oh, because there was so much pressure on him. Pressure, and he ended yeah. up running away and joining the military. Yeah. And... I'm not sure how if he many got stories are like that in the world, but like he just refused to believe that he that's he, rigid, mindset. you know, and it's just parents have to recognize that some kids just aren't going to be like them. They're not going to follow their path. Dude, if I had a dollar for every time I experienced that with parents, I, I'm not going to name any names, but last semester, I especially had one. And like this uh, parent was just like, you know, be like this with them, be like that with them. You know, he should be doing this. He should be doing that. She should be doing this. She should be doing that. And I, sometimes I just want to be like. Dude, life is not an Excel spreadsheet. I know in your mind, if they just do A, then B will be finished. And once B is finished, then they can continue to C. And it shouldn't be that long before they get to Z, right? I'm like, on paper, it looks good. But let me just tell you right now, uh, and I was telling this. I'm like, listen, at the end of the day, high school kind of matters, but not really. And I'm not saying don't care about it, but don't lose your shit over it. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and I'm just like, they're just not ready right now. He goes, I want you to, you know, talk to them about being responsible and kind of pep talk them. And I'm like, all your, all the stuff you're saying is great. And it's not that I don't want to do it, but they're just not ready to hear that yet. And maybe in two years, I wouldn't even have to do anything. They'll just, for some reason, have blossomed it, into it's that. It's funny that they ask you to try to talk to them like 
they've been trying to talk to them. It's like, listen, they ha- my I haven't worked. It hasn't worked for me. Maybe you can talk some sense. Well, like they're expecting you to talk to him, the the son or daughter, just like they've been trying to. Oh yeah, and in my and in my approach is to do exactly the opposite yeah. because because then I just be another person that's yelling at them the same way their parents are yelling at them. And then if anything's not gonna work, it's that. So I try to take a different approach and well, look at it this way. Let's assume that the son or daughter does go along with the father plan or mother's plan let's say father's plan they're not really their heart's not into it but they decide i'm gonna out of pressure i'm gonna do it yeah i can refer to this to a family member of mine did exactly this right that they go through school right i go through college they go through medical school residency school yeah they're going you you can imagine how miserable they are through this whole process because they don't want to be doing this and it's years long and it's very hard they get out they make good money they may may might might even work at the best hospitals, right? Making top dollar, but deep down they just are not happy because this wasn't what they wanted to do. I have a cousin of mine. His name's Besad. He's about forty-seven years old. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid in Chicago, he was entering his first or second year of medical school. Yeah. Super smart guy. He became an anesthesiologist. Oh, I talk to him yeah. all the time. Last time I, I talked to him, uh, he, the guy is passionate about cars. That's his real passion. He has like eight, nine classic BMWs. Temperament and He's aptitude. told me so many times, Kaon, I fucking hate what I do. I mean, I make great money, but I absolutely, he's like, my passion is cars. If I had to start over again, I would go into cars. Like something. Well, he has enough money to maybe do that. Now. No, no, but he, he told me, he, you don't, he, you have no idea how many times I almost quit in medical school. Ugh. Like six, seven, eight times, he said Sounds at least. miserable. And but I just I just couldn't. My parents, I mean. But it's different in those cultures too. But I could tell he's not happy, man. Every time I talk to him, he wants to talk about cars. I'm like, what? How's work? Yeah, freaking hate work. Like, like, and that's what he. That's his livelihood. Like, he goes into work with that kind of mindset where it's just like, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be doing this. Well, that's again, what I was saying earlier about. Even if you are a really smart, really competent person, high IQ. If you want to be a cabinet maker, then do it. Why? And honestly, I think the people who are really smart that go into more of those trade-type jobs are the best of the best of the best because they can bring a level of perception and intellect to something that is largely more laborious and just take it to another level. Well, especially nowadays. I mean, if you're good at that, you might even start a big business a around business. that. You, you might, might bring a business people. element to it. You might bring a certain creativity that wasn't there yeah, before and maybe, really turn it into something else. Maybe you deliver else. cabinets as opposed to, hey, you got to come check. I try to look at it like this. Being really smart and going into more of a trades type job is like buying in for five grand at a one-two table. Yeah, <laughs> you, you're bringing, you're coming in with a lot more chips than everybody else. It's going to be a lot easier for you than, than them. But it's true, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so so I, in that sense, I don't think it's a bad thing. People might think, well, why are you playing at a 1-2 table? That's the, you should be playing at a 5-10 table. It's like, I could, and I probably could but make I feel more. Comfortable but here I feel comfortable here. Fun fun, and I can for sure win this game. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Or if I Man, lose I, it. I would love it for the casinos to open up. I yeah, could you're telling me. I would definitely play like one session, like all night session, you know. I would think the last time I went to a casino was almost a year ago. I was in Canada. I went to the Niagara Casino. I found a hundred dollar chip on the floor. That, what? Yeah. That's never happened to me. I've never found yeah. maybe I one was time. Like, Yoink, I know what that looks like. That's black. <laughs> you took that? Of course. I got wrecked at the tables though. I didn't say I got wrecked. It Did was, you play with it? It was or a you slow playing? bleed. No, I just kept it at that point because we were leaving. Mm. But um that was a slow bleed, but man, like talk about—we oh, could talk about bad beat stories all night long. But it's like, 
oh man, this one dude was like my kryptonite at the table. Like, have him crushed on the flop, have him crushed on the turn. Just pull in he makes one a, outers, He makes a outers. magical $80 call on the turn that he shouldn't have made and makes a flush on the river and cr- cracks shot. my set. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, every time it was something like that. I flopped top two pair, check, check, turn river. He rivers some magical higher top two pair. Th- were you the one always betting or he'd be betting? Yeah, he was, like, check calling me the whole time. See, lately I've been, like, because I, I, now that everything's closed, sometimes I'll play. Oh, I never wanted to snap somebody like more than that guy. I've been playing on the apps, just building up my, my poker skills, just keeping them going, you know, because mm-hmm. you know how much I like poker. Yeah. And one thing I've been doing that's been really working well is I've I've been playing easier. Like, I, I don't raise as much. Even if I have a big hand, I just, I just check, Take it I easy. just check more. I just check call more, and it seems to work better than when I'm aggressively raising because I notice when I'm aggressively raising, if I end up getting beat, if somebody outbeats me, I'm more likely to get committed because I've been betting and I have to No, I that makes quit. sense. That makes sense. It's a real. Uh, Whereas if I'm just check calling, if it gets kind too of much approach. and I have a big hand and I feel like I'm beat, it's easier for me to let go because I've just been check calling. I'm not the aggressor. No, Psychologically, it's been. W- and and I've been winning but way hey, more. I think that again, that's like we were saying earlier. And I want to make that Tom Dwan comparison. Like you got to find a method that suits your. I think just. I'm telling you, dude, more. Mickey Mouse poker, man, it w- fucking works. Yeah, I agree with that. But it's funny. Daniel Negrano said this in an old high stakes poker. He goes. He's like, the Phil Locke was saying, you guys make it sound like it's a sin to play ABC tucked away squared poker. And Daniel Garner was like, it kind of is a little bit. Like, at least don't make it look so obvious that yeah. you're trying to win money. You know, like, you got to enjoy yourself a little bit. But, like, but it does you work. You have to if switch it up. Like, if uh, you're grinding, if hey. I get pocket jacks or queens, like, a lot of people raise them. At yeah, a, that's like, not as good of a hand as people. A lot do. of people raise it, like, five, even seven, eight times the blind. That's I, insane. You know what I raise it up when I get jacks or queens? No. I raise it at least 10 to 15 times the blind. I'll tell you why. That's insane. I'm telling you, you make why. it $30 I'm, on a 1-2 table I'm, 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 I'm tell- with jacks or queens? I'm telling you why I do it. Because you're only getting called with aces? No, I'm telling you why I do that. Either I'll take down whatever the, whatever's out there and just move on and not and stay out of trouble, or whoever's calling me, I'm isolating that guy, and as long as he doesn't outflop me, I got him beat. But when you when you bet five times the blind, you're welcoming Inviting. a lot more people. Well, again, it also depends on what that the we're table gonna is. stick De- around and what, freaking what? be a bad beat you on the turn on the river. Yeah, I mean those are I think those are good general rules, but it also depends on what the table is. If people are raising five times with what is the standard raise is what I'm saying at the table, and I think that also depends too. Well, but, um, generally speaking, also, that's what I do. Also, jacks and queens are not nearly as strong of hands as people think they are. I, I I'll do the same with aces and keys. I'm not even lying because. The last thing I want to do is raise six or seven times with aces and have four clowns call me. And Dude, that happened. To I, think that, that, I think that's how you got me out last flop. time. Yeah. That's, uh, remember, Cam, that's how you got me out. I think I had aces and you had sevens, and I made it like Yeah, and four, I told you you should raise it some more. I made it like you, four or five times before I, the flop you, and you made, called. Exactly. And I'm like, I would have folded either he had... flopped a set or I, I went, so I pushed all in and you fucking look, flopped a set. Look, you got to play the strength <laughs> of your hand pre-flop. If you got aces, that's the best possible hand, so make a big, big fucking bet pre-flop. If some, if some idiot's going to call you, great, it's you and an idiot. Chances are you'll beat that idiot. But if you got four yeah. idiots, then yeah. you, one of those also, is bound to beat you. you the know? odds of flopping a set against aces, I was just, I don't think I was getting away from that. No, but it happens. I, I could have, and, and, and again, you, and it you, does And happen. you're inviting people to do that. You're, you're giving them the possibility of doing that. And 
that's why when you, when you snap called me. I'm like, yep, honestly, bro, smells like it's better to win a small pot than to lose a fucking big one. A whole, a whole lot of nothing. Uh, and I felt a little bad, something I, than a whole lot of nothing. I felt bad taking your money that game too. Cause ah, I, whatever. Like I, I like lost the, my you're iPad the last keyboard person, that night. You're the last person. <laughs> And I was checking. If you remember, I was checking yeah, you. You're you were the like, one betting, like you went all in. I was well, like, I have to when you call. got aces, and I, if I was going all in, it's probably because I needed the chips too. So, well, if it's against me, oh, just just check, just check that. Out. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> you know, like you, we shouldn't want each other's money. Oh, that night I had another stupid beat too. I think I flopped a set or something like that, and then this guy like runner runner rivers turns and rivers me to a higher full house or some shit. Wow. Or there's like two pair on the board and and he just he had it. jack eight and there's like an eight on the flop and then the turn river was jack eight to make him a full house or some so shit. He, he, like he got two running cards to complete his full house. Yeah, and, it, and it's just like that the worst one where they're just check calling with nothing with air with air 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 and they just make some magic on the river. It's it's um then, yeah, yeah you, man you have to don't try to bluff an idiot what they say. You you gotta sometimes fold, man. And like I said, it's easier to fold when you're just checking down. It is, man. Folding is sometimes folding is like I would say sometimes folding is harder than making so, a big bet. So what I do is play like that, because it's like you're jumping into the grave. But I'm playing a lot more hands too. Yeah, that's I'm like the whole the small ball thing. I'm playing the four or five offsuits. But if I'm under the gun, I'll fold. Like if there's if I'm nine handed yeah, yeah. and I'm under the gun with a hand like oh, that. Oh, it's all position. Yeah, position. So if I'm the closer I am to the button, the wider my range of hands I'm gonna play. Yeah. yeah. And um, I just want to see a flop. I I, I love those like love you know flop, six man. three of hearts. You know every day's a and new day. And then they get two hearts in the flop, and you stick around and crush somebody's dreams. You know, <laughs> unless they have a better flush. Then it's the just one then it's just your unlucky day. Yeah, well, see, that's why I do the check calling always. Because if somebody's got a better flush, then I can only lose so much. I think it just depends on, you know, the other opposite strategy could works really good for somebody else. I just think it's how you play it, how people per- perceive I've, you and. I've thought about all this, that stuff. and I've played a lot of different tables. Like Chris doesn't play like that, but Chris Chris loses his patience quickly. The yeah. problem with Chris is it's hard for him to. He's either wins he's big a, or loses big. He's actually big. a pretty good player, and oh, he, he is. he's willing to take the risks that you need to take to win big pots. Which is you do need to take risks to take big pots. But I think Chris, it's hard for Chris to fold hands, and I think it's hard yeah. for him to be patient and wait for certain spots that I think are, are better. Of course, and but see, it's I was kind of looked at it like this, like wearing a helmet when you're skateboarding. Like you're probably never gonna need that helmet, but that one time you will need it, it will totally save your life. Is the thing. So it's like you could be playing tucked away squared poker the whole night, but then that one hand you just decide to go crazy and you lose everything. So it's that tiny sliver of impatience where you lose everything. And they had a list of tenets in my martial arts studio, and one of them was a uh, accidents happen out of idleness. <laughs> Yeah. And that's true. Because you get bored and do something silly. It's funny. The Japanese always always exempl- always show this in their anime. It's always some uh, some seductress like working you like the whole episode, and then like like the second you finally go <sighs> is when they <laughs> shaft you. And that's all it took was just that one second of idleness. And that's th- that's when you lose everything every time. Yeah, and you also want to be in a game where if you lose everything, you could keep playing. Hey man, it's like, like I said. Brian for five grand at the one two table. <laughs> if I had to go back, I probably wouldn't play the one two. I would sit down at. To my understanding, the rake the just really makes it. Yeah, not only once that, you start doing the math on the rake, it's really a casino there's game. Too, there's too many silly players at that the too. one two table, that and, too. and to filter them out, you gotta have to play higher stakes. And I think the next level, or at least the two levels after two that, five. is is perfect. I think that two five is really. 
the place to be, but you obviously you need to sit down with five hundred dollars at least. And always, oh my god, at you want to always buy in for the max buy in. Hundred percent. So, so unless you, you're, yeah, it's a, you got to buy in for a grand. You got to buy in for max buy in, and you got to you got to have at least two three more buy ins behind you comfortably. And if you lose all three of those buy ins, you're not gonna go home talking to yourself. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, exactly. And you're not gonna be like <laughs> scrambling. How am I gonna pay uh, next month's bills? Or well, my buddy Timmy used to play the two five, and uh, when he was. Uh, in Vegas, and um, he goes, that game plays a lot bigger than you might think it plays. If you're not sitting down with the grand, like, you're kind of... There's a couple Armenian guys I know in the car industry. They invited, one of them invited me to his house. Hey. And, yeah, the minimum buy-in is $500, but I think they play 510 Dude, 500 bucks for a 510 game is peanuts. Yeah, it's peanuts. That's the minimum. And I That's said, wh- where I they get the newcomers to come in to just freaking donate. Yeah, I asked him, what's the maximum? And he five said... Grand. Yeah, five grand. Sounds yeah. about right. Yeah, five grand. There's a couple games that I know of that there's no maximum. That's there's scary. a guy one night that sat down for like forty grand, and everybody just I think took him out, like took pieces of him. Just like sometimes that happens, and you got to know what game you're going to, and if it's a secure game, once you're playing those one, kinds of one stakes, of my friends told me don't cars. play with Armenians. I was like, what do you mean don't play with? He's like, dude, I don't trust them. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, dude, I think they, I think they're cheating at their games. Oh I went to God. a couple. I just got decimated like unbelievably. I was like, "Are you sure?" He's like, "He's like, I'm pretty sure they're cheating. I don't, I, don't, I refuse to play at the game." Oh God, yeah. who knows? You gotta be careful with that, though. No, but it's um, I wouldn't mind going to one of those house games. I just, I just need the bankroll for it. Not, not now. Maybe in a, you know, when, when the tour well, goes global. Like even for me, like, it's like if I do lose, it sucks because it's like, I'm probably gonna lose more than the five hundred if I do if I. If yeah, I lose a 500, sure. I'm going to buy in. So if I Once have a bad night, more, yeah. I'm going to lose probably 1500 that night. So you got to right? think of it as a $1,500 night out, which is an expensive night out. <laughs> yeah, it's just like 1500 bucks. That's why I like these little sit-and-goes, man. It's sustainable. The sit-and-goes? Yeah. Yeah, the ones that... The buy To me, when I have poker games, it's more experiential than anything. I'm not looking to win money, which is why I don't really go to casinos. Because I look at it like this. For me, going to a casino, dropping a grand, I'm like, that's a new lens I could have bought, in which I would have much rather had than maybe winning more money, very likely losing it at a casino. See, but that's the thing. It, as long as we think like that, we're going to have a hard time playing because we're always going to think about that. But that's to the me, problem. it's just entertainment, though. Yeah. So, so that, you, that's why so I don't care looking there, at that way. thinking like that. You have to go in there thinking that, like, literally, this is a game, and I have so many chips, and I'm going to take There's as many of us. Yeah, yeah. I agree. You can't look at it as, like, oh, my God, I just lost, like, 300 No, bucks. I'm not saying I get emotional about no, it. No, but, but I'm saying that because I've done that myself. Like, I've literally, I've lost some I'm money. And I, I would just, I would rather buy something that I'm passionate about or hobby than, than likely lose a gambling. Yeah. Thing. No, if I go to a casino, I've already kissed that money goodbye. Yeah, well, that's good. That's yeah. the way to no, do I've already it. Kissed. So what I'm saying is if I'm going to kiss this goodbye for sure, I, you know what I mean? I'd rather buy a lens or something. But um, Now, you could get a lens if you do well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you could literally I keep know. that and have yeah. a le- another lens. And most times I've gone to a casino, I've actually, I would say my casino runs are 50-50. I've, yeah, and granted, I've never really gone much. But again, to, like I was going to say, poker is more experiential to me. That's why I took the time and effort and spent the money to get my custom chips and the custom chip racks and the custom cards I want to build my own table. I like the experience of it more than anything else. Well, yeah, and that's a different experience. And so the right people. Playing with your friends and people you know, it's really different than walking into a casino. Yeah, you sit down at a casino, you they pluck you down at a table like you're in an assembly line, and you're, just, you're at a table with a bunch of strangers. And the truth is, is most tables, poker tables, are not the most friendly places in the world. <laughs> oh, I mean, I just... Sometimes they can be, but a lot of times it's just people trying to fucking wreck each other the whole time. Trying pe- to, people I don't know you, and I'm going to take all your money. 
I, I mean, I wish they'd just be like that, but a lot of times they just get really angry and edgy and they're it's, just having a bad night. It's not fun anymore. Yeah. It, mm. When you get like that, that's when it's time to go home. Like, like if, 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 if you're not having a good time, then why are you playing? Like, you're, you take your loss and move on with, like, you know, come back another day, maybe you'll be in a better mood. Yeah, nothing is worse like, than that energy to casino when somebody slow rolls somebody and you're like, uh-oh, a fight's going to break up. Yeah. Like, it's a terrible feeling. You, you know, you've seen it before. I used to be kind of a dick at the tables. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I like I'd I've make, I'd really make nice. little comments at people. Like people get mad and I'll I make a comment, or I'll, oh, I'll give. Oh, I wouldn't have done that. And I realize that it's not my place anymore. To, I just keep quiet. It, it inevitably watch. starts shit. And if anything, I'm laughing at like not at them, but I'm like making conversation with people. It, and we're laughing. It depends at the table. Time. Sometimes you sit down at a table with people you never met, and I think it's more true in Vegas where people are there like for leisure. But when you go to Commerce or Bike, it's like. People yeah. are there for business. Sharks. <laughs> yeah, sharks, exactly. They're grinding. <laughs> and <laughs> so when you go to Vegas, like usually it's more conversational. But like if it's a conversational table, I'll have fun. If it's a quiet table, I'll be quiet. Especially if I win a big pot. Especially, especially if I win a big pot because I sucked out on the river. I won't say a fucking word. I'll just because it's like you just took three hundred bucks. I never and you don't say really sorry it. anymore either. I used to sometimes say, "Oh, sorry, man." I'm no, like, there's no like, need to now say I'm sorry. Just like, that's a pretty bad dude. Beat, bro. One of the weirdest things I ever saw in a at a poker game, like where a fight almost broke out, was uh, I was playing in Hollywood, in Vegas. I was playing a one-two game. I was doing pretty good, and um, I think I left up like four or five hundred bucks. And that's pretty good at the one-two. And there's these this one really drunk guy. Everybody's really and he, the guy next to him. They're like talking. They're having a great time. And <laughs> oh my god, it just it was just so funny. It happened out of nowhere. And the guy was really drunk. You can tell he was kind of like, and, he, and then like he, about to pass out. No, and then he, the guy next to him, they're just having a great time talking. They're like total buddies. They just met. And then the one dude that was really drunk just looks over to the guy, and he just had this look in his eye that like it just said commitment. Yeah. And he looks over at the guy, just fucking kisses him on the cheek. <laughs> so you guys are playing. The guy just looks at him, and it's funny. Now that I think about it, he probably looked at him. He's like. And he just goes over and kisses him on the cheek. And then the dude's like, whoa. And the energy went from friendly to get the fuck away from me. He's like, bro, cut that shit out. Security came. And like, were they about in the to blink of an, yeah, in the blink of an eye. How's fun? How's it going? Gave him a kiss. Boom. Fucking fireworks. I've seen some fights. I've seen some pe- I've seen my, people my lunge. My favorite one you told me was I've never seen a lunge before. I've seen a lunge. I saw like a, across the table. I saw I saw a lunge. Two yaks. That was my favorite. I saw story. a lunge and I saw this guy. Or the call the floor man. That one, that guy that was that was just the funniest because that guy was like <laughs> he was sitting next to me and Chris and he was cool with us. He liked us, so we were making mm-hmm. comments back and forth, and we knew he's a funny guy just because he's making comments all the time at the table. And some people found him annoying, naturally, right? Because yeah. he's just talking too much. And, like, somebody would raise, like, 30 bucks. He'd be like, and he, <laughs> and that same person was eating a banana sundae, right? He just ordered bananas. He's like, it looks pretty good, but he's like, how much, how many bananas you raised in me? <laughs> like, he'll just make stupid Funny comments shit. like and that. And it's fun when you have a guy like that at the table. But, uh, yeah, when he told, when, when he was. Called the floor. Yeah, when somebody went all in and Call. he was thinking about what to do and he wasn't sure what to do. He's like call the floor man Ooh. and there and, and but when he said call that little one or two second delay before saying the, the floor man was, was enough to get a reaction out of the guy oh that is such an angle That's and then he realized angle. he's beat and he's like the full floor man and the guy got so much like no no you 
That's a call. What is this? That is, though. And he had an accent. I forgot where he was from. That is pretty shitty. You fucking, you fucking guy, you, no, you, that's your fucking call. Call, call the floor man. Call the floor, like, just like that. Floor man comes in. He got up, like, he he got up. He was, he wanted to fucking punch him. And the guy just sitting there, he's like, call the floor man. (laughs) He starts laughing. And it's pissing the guy off even more. Like, he's like, he's like, get the fuck out of here. He's like, call the floor man. The floor man came. Obviously, he tells the story. The floor man looks at the guy, the funny guy, and he's like, what's going on here? And he's like, nothing. I just wanted to call <laughs> the floor man. So this guy's like a wise guy. And this is where like the table starts coming in, right? Because now you get, you need witnesses. Everybody's right? standing up. And, and everybody on the other side is like, oh, he, he said there. call. There was a pause. Then everybody's he said looking. Man. They, they ended up holding him to it because too many of people. Of course. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, dude, like. That's they, where dude, they they go, basically kicked them out after that. Of course, because dude. there was a lot some complaints. Go on YouTube him. and type in casino fights, and you'll see some crazy ones. <laughs> I've done it before; it's nuts. But um, one of the another one I was gonna say. Um, what were you gonna say? Cause you you've seen some casino fights or no? Gosh, it's what I was gonna say. No. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Did I ever show you that live at the bike video where the guy like pushed in his chip rack? And then, like, oh, took, it, to take back. it back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was that. the shittiest thing. I've and never that, seen that. He but. pushed in, um, those were a hundred, that was a hundred dollars rack. So that was like, uh, I think that's 10 grand. It's, yeah, it's, that's it's not five, that much at that table. Five rows of yeah. two grand. Yeah, so he goes, because the guy's like tanking like this. He's just looking down, looking down, looking down. So the guy's looking at him, he's like, push it. Did he, it rack. went over the line? Oh, dude, he like made a full lunge he's into screwed. the middle of the table like this, like not. It's all on camera. <laughs> he's, it's they're gonna hold. And then he goes, "No, I was just, uh, I didn't, I was, I was just moving." I don't know my why shift. he was, he was so stupid to even say that. Because then, the, and then the guy that's sitting there, with like a full house, just like, yeah, of course I call right away. And then they were fighting for like twenty minutes, and then but he's they, like, "Yeah, man, yeah. that's a call. You lost ten grand, and that was that." Well, that was—I mean—that's just being stupid. I don't know what he was. I'll thinking. show it to you. Like, no, I've—I've I've seen that video. You oh, sent it to me. Yeah, it's dude. really crazy, actually. Um, it's like, did you really think you're gonna get away with that one? Like, you, you made a full lunge into the, the center with the, his one rack. Of the, one of the crazy no, stories was this was like six, seven years ago, back when Chris was um, living in San. No, yeah, before San, San Pedro. San before Monica. San Pedro, he was working at living in Monterey Park. Yeah. yeah okay, I remember that. And we so we went to play poker. I think it was commerce or bike. I can't remember. I like bike more. And we're at this table, and this guy rolls in in the wheelchair. This little small guy, like, like I don't know if he was like, what's the proper word, dwarf or midget? Let's say dwarf. Dwarf. Okay. Uh, I don't know if he was a dwarf or just a smaller person. It, it, it was hard to tell because he looked kind of proportionately okay, but just was a smaller yeah. guy in a wheelchair. He freaking rolls in at the table. He sits down and. Apparently he's like famous because like people at the table are like oh it's what's his name I forgot what his name was let's say Joe is like oh Joe's yeah. here and I was like what what's up with Joe and what is he's like oh dude he's just like this angry angry <laughs> angry guy in a wheelchair <laughs> and he didn't seem that bad to me at first he was kind of quiet and then like like he starts making little comments here and there starts he, adding yeah up. as he's losing and it's proportional to how much he's losing as he's losing <laughs> the comments are yeah, increasing the direct relation yeah. And he starts holding up the game. Like, he's, like, uh, talking. That's the worst. I hate that so And much. he's arguing with somebody and holding thing. up the game. And I had enough at this point. I, I turned to him. I was like, listen, man. Like, we're all waiting for you. Let's get the game going. He's like, why don't you just mind your own business? I was like, this is my business. Like, I can't even I'm play. Like, you're holding the whole table. And he starts going off on me, like, targeting me. And uh. I'm like, dude, listen, man. You're being freaking ridiculous. Like, 
He's like, what, what are you going to do, bag? Like, he's just, he starts like, not in yeah, my face because he's, he's in a wheelchair, but if he could, he'd be in my face. And eventually they called like the floor man because he's getting really loud and like, they basically asked him to like go to another table because it's just too tense there. And like as he's wheeling away, he's still fucking yelling, dude. He just so like he was just like the angriest. And Chris just looks at me, he's like, dude, that is the angriest guy in a wheelchair I've ever seen. And I was like, yeah, me too. I really like I've never encountered somebody that angry. Like he was, he was so he was just a very angry person. There's no other way of it's putting sad, it. Sad man. Like if you really think about it, it's cool to go to casinos and stuff, but there's always some really negative energy there like that when you go. Which is why I like the home game so much more. Which is why I like Vegas. When you go to Vegas and you play the poker tables there, people are there on vacation. It's more leisurely. They're having a good time. It's easier to win money from them because they're just there. Either they're drinking more or they're just. It is a little better. They're gambling more. And the energy's more. It's a lot funner. And I, if I had to, like, and every time. If I had to pick one, yeah. Bro, but it's still that casino energy, though. I've been there probably in the last seven, eight years, probably like six, seven times, right? Vegas. And each of the times, I think five or six times of those, I think one time I didn't play. Every other time I played poker, I'm not even kidding you. Every single time I had, I was winning session. Winning. Oh, good. Sometimes it was only up 500. There was once I was up like three grand. Oh, nice. Like literally, I, like I'm at, and night. this is at the one, two table, dude. Like I had sat down with like 200. At the end of the night, I had 1500. Like, like dude, I had a stack like this big. Everybody else's stack was like a, a, a fifth or fourth of mine at the most. So it was crazy. At that point, you know, you're running the table, you know, it's just like people are cash just, out, man. Why? Well, no, but I wouldn't. I kept playing. I was having such a good time. That's what to me. I wasn't thinking about, oh, I got to preserve this money. It was just so, so it's much fun. fun. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree. If the game's good, the game's good. No, I agree. That's the most important thing. Yeah, well, poker is a great game. I mean, you know, there's some negative connotations to it, but I think it's great because like anything man it te- can be i just observe people i just l- like to it's watch neat. the way they handle situations how they play their hand yeah what um, was it a doyle brenton quote he goes people think poker is a card game played with people but rather it's a people game that's played with cards is that what he said something like that i think it was him i like that but it's true that's why like i like the psychological aspect of it and then people it's been there's people i know that i'm like trust me i know you love the game just give it a try and it's like it's very psychological. It's fun. It's strategic. It's some people learning. don't want to learn it because they think it's like it's like it's a very unhealthy. engaging. If you're into like the human nature thing and like yeah, poker is poker because I've sparred and fought a lot of martial arts. It's fighting. It is. Yeah, you're you're. It's like a you mini start, war. You start getting raw because money starts being at stake and people start getting real. People start getting tense. The same thing in a fight. Once you fight somebody, it's like their true self comes out. So to but speak. you always have that one guy just doesn't give a. You know, it just is there to have fun and gamble. They don't care about their hand. You know, like yeah, it's true. Oh yeah, there's always that one guy. At the who's table. that guy used to co- tell me about? Manny, Josh. No, Josh. Yeah. Yeah, but Josh would play for such high stakes. Him playing a ten dollar game with us was literally meaningless. <laughs> but he he did though. He right? would. Like, yeah, he would have fun. But like, yeah, he would just call and raise and all. If you went raise, he went all in. If you called, he raised. It was just he was just playing to people. Whatever you can fun. do, I can do better. Kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a different kind of invincibility you're playing with, though. But, I mean, I think you've we've lost had a lot some, of money. We've too. had some interesting characters at those poker games, haven't we? I know. Over, I should, over I the should years. like, make a movie about it. It'd be fun. Th- that's what's poker cool Chronicles. is all the different people that come to your game. Again, it's the people. That's what I think makes the biggest thing. As cool as I've ever had, as fun of a time as I've ever had at a casino game, I've had way better times with our games here. Yeah. I, I just wish we could... I mean, right now, probably people don't want to play. Nope. No, yeah. Plus, I 
it's not a healthy. I need thing to build to a new table and everything. No, it's probably best not to do anything right yeah. now. Yeah. Like, so. It's weird because I I went from with the whole COVID virus thing when it first happened like was it March February, I went from being like super scared, right, well, super cautious. Then I got like around April, maybe May or June, started relaxing a little bit. That's like, what oh, happened with everybody. Like maybe this isn't as bad as it is. You know, you start wearing your mask a little bit less often. You know, and then now I'm back to being, oh shit, guys! Like we need to. And now I'm at a point where I'm getting pissed off at other people, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was at an auction this earlier today, and it was open. I was just seeing what it's all about because I didn't know they were open, but apparently they were. And I show up there, and there's a lot of people. And obviously, most people have the masks, but like literally, almost half the people had their mask, like partially oh, like down. I'm like, accessory. I'm like, why are you doing that? Just take your mask off, then. Like, it, it's, no point. It, there's no point. Like, what's? I don't understand. And they're not talking. I could see if they were talking to their buddy, then th- maybe they can. Th- they want him to hear you, him better. It's so important that he talks that he wants them to fucking hear him better. Right. But no, not even that. Just hanging out there. I'm like, it really bugged me. And I was telling a couple of buddies of mine there, who, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, nobody's doing anything about it. None of the people working there. So I called one of the employees. I was like, listen, man, like, you guys need to enforce this shit, bro. Like, like. I- I- if we start, if we, if we behave this way, man, we're going to be shut down forever. Like, like this. He, and he's like, well, what do you want me to do? I don't have any authority. I was like, well, maybe you can mention it to somebody in authority when, you, when you're done with work. I don't know. Like, do something about it. But Oh, man, we know. could talk forever about that. But, like, I just I think people need to take it at least seriously. And it's just, it's just wear the mask, guys. It's not a big deal. Yeah, you just, know, we're not asking the you more to wear. We, the, the more we do it, the sooner this is all going to end. And it's like your civil liberties are not being stripped from you. Just, just like relax you know and i mean do i believe that it's real uh, first of all i don't think it matters if i believe it's real or well, not. no it is it is real i i like one of my ex-girlfriends she no, was just telling no, me no i definitely think it is a real thing too i don't know how is it apparently serious is it really serious i don't know because you hear just arguments from both sides regardless of what's happening i'm going to take an engineering approach assume worst case scenario and assume it's terrible and wear the mask that's it it's like what a, it's, it's not that so big simple. of a deal you know, no. You think I enjoy wearing a freaking mask? Nobody enjoys degrees. wearing it. I have glasses. I get they get fogged up. You know, it's just like. But I do it because, you know, we all have to do it. You know. That's okay, man. And. Uh, I don't know. Well, that's the that's, this is this is what happens when you have so many different people in the world. You know, you have so many different personalities. Some people. You know, uh, they believe a certain way, and others said that's the downside of the individualistic culture of the United States is everybody has an opinion. Say right now in Japan, we're not doing that. It's a collectivist culture there. Everybody follows the rules. They and they don't need somebody beating them with the stick they either. Just in follow the streets, them. Huh? They say you could leave your purse there; nobody's going to steal it. I know in India they do that. There's police that go around if you don't have a mask in public, they'll freaking. I've seen that. Hit you. I've seen videos that the in, uh, Indian police walk around with these sticks, and that's yeah, how they, they get will, you. They just they beat will you. hit you. There's no warning. The no, no, they don't even give you a warning. They will just hit you. Like, there's no, like, Maybe hey, we sir. need to adopt that, man, instead of the guns. And five, well, that's a whole rabbit hole. We can no, <laughs> you can't do that. That's assault here. You, like, you can sue that guy. You can take <laughs> yeah. take him for what he's worth. You know, like, it's just, like, there, there's yeah. a lot of rights in this country, and that's a good thing, but these are the negatives. The yeah, negatives the are when you have a situation like this. Everybody wants rights. Everybody has their own opinion. That's why countries like China could probably handle this situation a lot better than we can, because 
Yeah, but they also do some really no. I'm not saying so nice no, no, no. I know. I don't want their not so nice things, but like uh, labor camps and stuff. <laughs> That's why they should vote emergency powers to people in power, like just for health reasons. You know, to give them the power to enforce this nationally but obviously we have so many states it's, that's a that's a slippery slope yeah well, maybe that's a that's good a wrap to end on yeah i think that's a yeah we're good to go man yeah. i think uh podcast number one with you thanks yeah thanks for having me it was yeah. really fun we talked about i think there will there will a be a wide more. prism of we did <laughs> all kinds of stuff man we did man <laughs> awesome well thanks for having me bro yeah you see i'm glad you fun. came dude thanks.